Radio host and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe. Hey, everybody, it is your good friend, Dr. David Proton from down here in the North Star Recording Studio, where I do have the gain up a little bit today, because every time I go to render this and I download the recording on YouTube, I have to jack up the uh, the audio um, for Podbean. So hopefully it's not too hot for everybody out there, but, uh, but anyway, let me know. Um, got some extra lighting. I'm running this through a different program today. So I'm using UCAM 10. I had UCAM 8, I had UCAM 9. Now I downloaded UCAM 10 for $44.99, which personally I don't recommend it. It's not, uh, it doesn't really offer me much more than um, I had in UCAM 9. Um, I can do all these crazy, like, uh, uh, in the moment makeup features, which, um, don't really work here. So I have some additional lighting, but let me see. I can do this, do the, uh, the kind of smiley guy, do the 20th century thing here. So do the thumbs up there for my good friend, Zippy, all pro Leventon falling in. Thanks buddy. Swamp dog armory, uh, spam bots. I'll do some things. Everybody. I'm going to give you the, uh, the thumb here. Then remember what this thumb means. I don't have Facebook, but uh, it does mean please uh, subscribe to this channel, share it with your friends, subscribe from your many, 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 many social media channels um, and uh, an update here. So I'm going to, whoa, all right, I won't do this whole show, um, but uh, hmm, where are we at here for, um, dun, 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 that's really a bad graphic. Where are we at for show subscribers? So believe it or not, we are over 1,200, which is a new all-time high for this show. So we are doing awesome. So please uh, continue to subscribe, and, and that'd be great. We are on fire. Whoa, that was well-placed. So yeah, here we Whoa, look at this. So all right, I'm going to knock that off for a while. You guys are like, come on. Well, you got it's part of it's part of you cam so um yeah got some extra lighting in here today so hey look at this i have a, a second camera angle going here which i just really messed up um here we go here's a second cam, uh, camera angle so uh, pretty cool so how this works actually is that is an old cell phone that's <laughs> just logged into my local network here and to the channel. So it's just showing me from a side angle, you know, which is, which is pretty cool. Right. So you get to see the rest of the, well, not the rest, but this side of the office. So up on the wall over here, I have these big, um, 
you know, productions might cover the book and then the audio book, you know, they're over there and you can kind of get to see, but, uh, but yeah, I thought, you know, I changed things up a little bit here. So it's free. Like, you know, I upgraded the phone a year ago and I kept this one and I'm like, what am I going to use it for? And I, I took my, my daughter out to practice a uh, softball, uh, skills back in May. And, and I set it up on a tripod to record her, um, hitting and stuff. And she hit a liner and just missed this phone by inches. I would have totally destroyed it. But, uh, but here it is, like doing duty as the uh, the side cam. So, but I'm going to remove it and, and go to the main cam right now. So, welcome everybody. Thank you very much for being here. Um, Spambot is saying, "Hey, the second camera is a reminder to keep your podcast space tidy." Yeah, you know, down here, um, it is. It is really a tidy. It is really a tidy setup. Um, I have. Uh, I don't have much much down here, and this office was renovated, you know, over the last like year or two, and and so sometimes I'll, I'll throw the camera around so you can like see it this way over on the other wall where I have some of my um, artwork up that I um, inherited from some relatives, nineteen sixties uh, New Mexico artwork. So, but yeah, there isn't much going on down here in my my backpack, which I guess is over here. It's not really in view, but uh, I'll be I'll be teaching. Um, Eight uh, eight Saturdays coming up this fall. So it's Alec Bat- Batinio, our truck driving friend in the field. Thanks, thanks, buddy. What's up, Doc? Friendly, hey, thanks, buddy. Really appreciate you being here. So um, appreciate all of you, uh, Zippy and Zippy, who's been up since yesterday morning. Combination of coffee, Mountain Dew, and Red Bull. You gotta take care, buddy. You gotta sleep at some time. The second angle, yeah. Second camera. My my setup is dust, wires, clutter. You know, when I brought this desk back, this desk weighs 400 pounds. That's not hyperbole. It actually does. It's, it's uh, from the 40s. And when I had this office redone and the new wood floor put in, um, I had this desk. I moved it over with like heavy, you know, wheel rollers and stuff. And I put it, I think, 14 inches from the wall. Um so I could get in back of it and rewire things and clean and stuff like that because there's like no way I'd be able to move the desk. And that was a really smart move because initially I never had that space where I could kind of walk in back of my desk. So um hey, I had my I had my um my doctor's routine doctor's appointment this week and I lost six pounds. Everything's looking good there with the doc. So uh that's that's good stuff. Um I thought I lost more, but you know, I'll take I'll take six. Um so, yeah, I have to, my screen is being, here we go. There we go. I'll remove that. So it's kind of a cool thing. Like, it doesn't cost me anything to have that over there. So I'm like, hey, why not? So um, so today's show, so Swamp Dog Armory is asking, um, does a cell phone ban include smartwatches? So this is a great question. Let's get into today, today's show. Today's the show is, uh, uh, the title here is Michigan Bill. So there's a, there's a bill in Michigan right now. So a lot of school safety is state by state. We've talked about that before on the show. If there's very little federal legislation for school safety, it really comes down to the states. Michigan has a, a bill. I don't know if I would exactly say this is a school safety bill. I probably wouldn't, but um, so they have a bill right right now, and I'll get into that in, in a little bit here. Um, I already have the blog post written for this, and if you go in the description, right, you can find this stuff, but um, there's a bill that uh, Representative Gary Eisen proposed 
to ban cell phones in schools and all school property on the bus, on the playground, anywhere, you know? And uh, so we're going to talk about that today. What would that, what would that mean? Also, like, what are the, what are the positives for having cell phones on school campus if you're a student, right? And, and what are the, what are reasons against it? So does this bill have merit or doesn't it? I also instruct um, legal courses, um, you know, so I have two going on this fall for like aspiring school administrators. And, you know, we talk about this stuff, but we're going to get into this um, pretty, pretty deep tonight, you know, like seven reasons for seven reasons against. And again, I already have the blog post written. The description is fully kind of populated out. Um, so yeah, it's so, so right off the bat here, uh, Swamp Dog says, you know, like, uh, you know, what does it mean for smart watches and stuff like that? smart. So that's a great question, right? And the bill actually doesn't get that finite where it breaks it down into that. <laughs> so you're right off the bat, Swamp Dog has has identified something that's a problem in the bill. So, hey, our good friend, Nick is Steve is here. So, Michigan. So, for all of its faults, I know Joe Dolio and, and uh, you know, a lot of good people uh, in, in uh, Michigan. So, but, um, but yeah, so, so the question, you know, we're going to go through is like, you know, uh, should you ban cell phones in schools? So, you know, we'll go through that. Now, before I get into that, I want to, um, first of all, thank all of you for being here. Thank you so much for supporting this channel. We are at a record subscribership. And uh, hopefully the audio has come through good. But uh, 1,202 subscribers, that's an all-time high for the show. Um, and we are within 750 hours of having the show uh, monetized. So that's awesome. Both of those are records. Um, and next week, just uh, to give you an idea, I do, um, oh, I have coming on the show next week, um, Graham Wilson, known as Super Pilotish on YouTube. Uh, Graham Wilson is a Canadian um, pilot and flight instructor, and he is a funny guy. Like, if you go back to his YouTube channel, Super Pilotish, some of the stuff he was producing in uh, some some animated stuff that came out around 2010, 11. It was just hilarious and hundreds of thousands of views regarding like pilots and stuff. Um, so we were in contact. I talked to him a couple times by phone this week. We had like a Skype meeting and and um, and so we're all we're all set to go a week from today. Um, that Graham will be on the show and he's been doing more with his YouTube channel. But uh, but he he's a smart guy and he's a storyteller and he's a funny guy. So we will have a great show. Uh, let me back out of this just a second and show you the uh, the thumbnails to get an idea who Graham is because I have I have that ready. I've been working ahead on this because you know I've got uh, a lot of teaching coming up, so um, or a lot of out of the area teaching. So what in the world, Dave? Here we go. All right. So just a second, you should be able to see it. All right, so you just uh, you just got an idea there for decision making up in the air, right? With uh, with Graham, so yeah, that's 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 actually one of my best thumbnail productions. Um, put a little bit of time into that to to make that look to make that look cool. So, um, but yeah, super pilotish on on YouTube, and we're going to talk about 
you know, when he trains new pilots, like decision making, and then also some of the really quirky stuff that goes on in, um, you know, like if you're flying a plane, right? So just as a really good show, he's, he's a fun guy. It's going to be good. So, so again, um, thank you for everybody. We are at show kind of, you know, record numbers right here. So thank you very much. And thank you to our good friend, Bacon Maldito out of the greater Inglewood area at one point. And I appreciate it. 1.21 as of now. Oh my God. Bacon, that's amazing. So, you know, there was a time where I did like the first 120 shows and I had like 300, 400 subscribers and, and I was doing shows on a pretty regular schedule, you know, one, two a week. And I was like, oh my God, when is this going to take off? Not that 1.21 is taking off, but, and then actually, um, it, you know, it was um, DLD After Dark who, who uh, really helped give me a boost in the channel. And, and then all of you, you know, subscribing, telling people. And, you know, once you crest a thousand, you're eligible for monetization. And then, you know, 1.21 and so forth. And it does make a difference, right? Because um, then when I go into the, the when I, when I do things with people or when I have people on as guests and things and they're like, Oh, you know, like you've got over a thousand subscribers, it's kind of like, you know, legitimate, right. You know, brings them on or, you know, I've done 180 episodes. I bake him Maldito on. I'm going to interview Swamp Dog Armory, right. We're going to, it's going to come on the show here. Zippy has been on the show. So, you know, all good stuff. So, um, Zippy saying, um, then I guess it's like a jacket at a restaurant when you leave it. Get back. Oh yeah. We're talking about kind of this, the, the cell phone stuff. So, Swamp Dog um, is saying um, the only way to get it back is black or jam, jam the signal. We're talking about cell phones. So well, why don't we get into that since we've got a lot um, a lot kind of going in there. Bacon saying, hey, we're at 1.2. This is great. So thanks. Um, thanks. So um, just so you know the setup, I'm going to give you the controllers that are in front of me. I have my main monitor. I have six feet of monitors in front of me. Um, literally six feet from side to side. So in front of me is my main monitor where I'm looking at all of you and I have my, my the comments coming up. The left are the show notes and my kind of blog post I put together and the right is the monitor screen. So that's what's happening right now across the three screens. When you see me, you're like, what's Doc doing? Is he staring down a ghost? I'm like, I could be. It's, you know, I don't know. I've seen crazy stuff like in replays happening in the back of this, this show here, but no, I'm not staring down a ghost. So let's do... Let's do this. I'm going to read um, my my intro here. So James David Dixon, who is a personal friend of mine, um, and he is from Michigan, and he, so he's a great guy. James David Dixon, managing editor of Michigan Capital Confidential, formerly of the he was with the Detroit News, but um, he wrote uh, an article about Michigan House Bill 6171. House Bill 6171. And it was introduced in June of 2022 by Representative Gary Eisen, E-I-S-E-N, Gary Eisen. The proposed bill reads, so this is what the bill says, right? Like you think a bill is pages and pages and whatever. This is what the bill says. Beginning with the 2022-23 school year, the board of, board of a school district or intermediate school district or board of directors of a public school district Academy shall ensure that each school operated by the board or board of directors develops or adopts and implements a policy that prohibits the use of personal cellular devices by pupils enrolled in the school during the scheduled school day when the pupil is at school. Okay, I guess. At, at school, it's in quotes, 
means in a classroom, elsewhere on school property or on a bus or other school related vehicle. So, whoa. So suddenly this, this legislator, this representative comes out in Michigan in June and like they give no one like a lot of time to like debate this right and, and to really think about it. And he says, hey, like here's the deal. Like I want this bill passed and it would ban cell phones. So, you know, so I guess it, at first glance, th this, I mean, like Swamp Dog brought up a question. Does this involve like smart watches and stuff like that and other devices? What really, what, how do you define a cell phone, right? Because, you know, again, could be, could be uh, a watch, you know, things like that. So, um, but basically wants to ban it anywhere on school property. So as, um, as James David Dixon wrote, who I have a much, much respect for, he, he said, you know, he, he wrote a very compelling article, which will be in the blog post at safetyphd.com. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he went down the rabbit holes of saying, you know, here's here's what to consider if you're going to do this, like the reasons for or against this. Now I'm going much deeper today. And, and the purpose of his article was to make people aware of this. I wasn't to go really deep into these rabbit holes. But, uh, but uh, yeah, we're going to do that. So, um, you know, let's, I have to get down, kind of get my, my show notes set up. A little differently here. So anyway, um, so you know, let's get into to this. But first, let's go back to the the chat. So what we're going to talk about today is banning cell phones in school. So this wouldn't be done at a federal level, right? The feds don't actually do a lot of school safety or school policy on this this type of stuff. Like they don't do really much at all. It comes down to the states, and then. I'm going to point out some things, though, that, that are really um, kind of unique about this proposal. And like, ultimately, like, I don't I don't think this will ever happen or this would work. But let's talk about seven reasons for and seven reasons against as soon as I go back to the chat. And uh, let's make sure. So, um, yeah. So it's our good friend Swamp Dog Armory who's saying, you know, finished it, finished an intro for Night Custom Builds, working on the edits for the VR. Wow. So Swampy, I'd love to uh, be on your show sometime. Kind of a shout out here from the doc to my good friend Swampy. Bring me on the show, Swampy. All right. Um. Here we go. Um. This is our good friend Bacon Maldito. Uh, first thing I thought about seeing the title was based on current rather politicized events. I'll hold until Doc is well into the topic. Okay. All right. And some of that might happen once we get into the topic. So thanks, Bacon. Our good friend Zippy. Sounds like California's banning gas car sales while they are in an energy crisis. Yeah, no no kidding, right? That's, that's a, big, uh, a big mess going on out there. I have some friends in California. They're like, holy smokes, this is not a good situation for us. So, you know, we're I'm not running into any of that here where, you know, I live in Wisconsin as far as like, you know, ener crazy energy bills or stuff like that. Um, but, uh, you know, but I guess, you know, wait and see. So Spambot Fodder is saying, I work for a telco, and I know for a fact that walled garden microcell sites can lock down all 4G phones in an area. Schools, prisons, and aircraft carriers are the biggest. Holy smokes. I didn't know that, buddy. Yikes. 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 So 
all right, I, I like having the second phone, uh, second camera option. So, Slumtug's saying, so it's not really banning cell phones, but banning personal use. No, I think it would be banning. Um, so Slumtug brings up a, a, a good point in this. Is it banning cell phones or is it banning the uh, the personal? It, it's saying you can have a cell phone, you just can't turn it on, right? So I think the bill actually bans cell phones. So, but it's pretty vague, right? That's a that's one of the problems we're going to get into with this bill is it's really vague. It doesn't exactly say, okay, can you bring a cell phone? But then you have to like put it in and check it into the office and they keep it in a pouch and get it back at the end of the day or how does that work? So it's, it's not there. So um, it's our good friend, Misty, Mrs. Wayne. Thanks for being here. Serious question here from Swamp regarding that. How will that affect homeschoolers in Michigan? For those doing e-learning? Yeah, I, I wouldn't think it would apply, right? So it's a, it is a good question, right? And, so what you're doing swamp and everybody else is like, you're immediately pointing out like, how does it apply here and here and here? And when this bill is proposed, it just was basically a paragraph saying ban phones on school property and without like the instruction specifically of like, well, does it, how about a 4k site or how about homeschooler e-learning, which, you know, I don't think it would apply to homeschooler e-learning and how are you going to enforce it? Right. But, but it's a good question. Like, so it's a it's a pretty crazy knee jerk bill to have out there. So have a good time, y'all. Hey, Nick, get some sleep, buddy. Um, so let's um, so let's get into this. So what what are the reasons to ban cell phones? So just just global. This isn't what the bill says. Remember, the bill just says cell phones need to be banned from school premises, right? Like when you did, you, you can't you can't have them. So um, the bill doesn't say how, how that looks like in policy, policy. It's actually not really a school board policy thing because you cannot write a school board policy to override a state regulation, a state law, right? So I think this person's intent, although I couldn't find it, was to make it easier for state led for, for school districts to say, you know, we're being overwhelmed with kids like tuning into their phones all day or bullying other kids or whatever. So we'll just make a state law and then the Board of Education doesn't have to worry about it. Like people coming and being, you know, testy at their meetings of saying, we don't want this. Um, You know, say like, you know, this bill is crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy bill. It's crazy bill. We don't want this. So we'll just like make this federal law about it, or, or state law about it. So um, let's get into it. Why are reasons, what are reasons to have um, cell phones? You know, I think the first, the first reason here to have a cell phone is, is the fact that cell phones are part of learning. Like every one of us, right, pretty much has our cell phone on us all day at all times. We use it for navigation. We use it for math. We use it for communication. Like it is just inherently part of us. So it's going to be part of our learning process. You know, if we, it's, it's basically inseparable from learning. By, by the year 2007, educators, so, you know, by the year 2007, so we're, you know, going back, you know, 15 years, educators conceded that cell phones could play an important part in learning. Universities shared uh, or started to use text messages to reach out to students. This was in 2007. And a survey released by Singular Wireless indicated that parents believe text messaging helped to improve communications with children. It's in an article by Loveless. It's going to be cited in a blog post at safetyphd.com, by the way. So what you see down in your corner, the blog post will be up tomorrow. But um, I don't, you know, I don't place a lot of weight in surveys. But basically, 
this whole thing of like, oh, cell phones and schools, like that's actually, you know, been around for a long time, right? So it's nothing new. Um, so one is it's part of learning. All of us have our cell phones on us, you know, and we hook it up in our car to ways to find that, you know, our navigation, if we got to look up whatever, I mean, do our banking, do, do it's just part of, part of, it's very integrated. So why would you separate that out from learning? Um, it kind of goes back and I have this, this later in this segment of, you know, when I was growing up, you couldn't have um, a calculator during like math examinations or any of that. Like it was very limited on when you could use a calculator. But yet when I was in 1984, remember I ordered a flat screen calculator watch, a scientific calculator watch. I don't know where I got it out of catalog. It was great. And uh, so by 1984, like I had this, this, you know, regular watch, which was a calculator watch. And uh, it's anyway, but um, so number one, cell phones are part of learning. That's the reason to have them. So the, you have to just assume people are going to have cell phones or some derivative of that technology. As Swampy said, a, you know, wrist, um, you know, phone or, or whatever it is, like they're going to have that with them and probably down the road, like singularity, like a neural link or something. But yeah, this will happen. Number two, school safety. So how about cell phones and school safety? Well, you know, one of the things is a lot of schools go to these school safety apps. All right, we have a school safety app. And, um, you know, so if there is, uh, if there's an intruder, right, we're going to let everybody know through this app or, or whatever's going on. Like That technology, one, isn't perfected. It's not tested on students with disabilities. It's not tested on students in general not tested on young kids, you know, things like that. So, so I think we over rely on that technology. Um, it's kind of like, you know, app in a can, right? Just here it is. I think that will get better. Um, but I think also for school safety, for students being able to report out um, that if they perceive a threat or identify a threat, right, that they can get that information into the system sooner. So I think that's good. Now there can be issues, right, with students in classrooms trying to call out to 911 and, and things like that. But I mean, I think in general, to to come up with a bill to prohibit phones like they like Michigan has done, right? And to to not recognize the impact on school safety. Do phones, do students having phones make schools safer? And I would argue probably more on the yes side, right? Like there's negatives of bullying and things like that. But in a crisis situation, the thought is each one of those cell phones is kind of like a smoke alarm, which I have just around the corner from me. And with that situation, right, um, you think of all those students as kind of smoke alarms, like roaming smoke alarms. They can detect what's going on and, and report it sooner. As these phones get the better GPS capability, they can they can use that also to, uh, to report out in where they are at. Like I'm currently in this location in the building. Like the phone, if you have like the app, what three words will do that? Phones will just do that in general, as we go forward, like they'll, they'll with geo tracking, like you'll be able to know right where that phone is down to like a three by three meter square. So I think not allowing students to have phones in school degrades school safety. Boom, set it. I'm sticking with it. Um, number three, singularity. So what is singularity? So singularity and uh, uh, wait, I'm going to pause here. Welcome to a couple of people. It's our good friend, Ron Wayne. Thank you for subscribing, and thank you, Ron Wayne, for being here. I appreciate it. I think you're new to the show. It's our good friend, Ting Ting. 
Appreciate you very much. I don't need a cell phone as a girl. This is Ting Ting. My children will not carry one now. And they know how to, to pick up another cell phone call 911 if needed. So, right. Actually, yeah, like my youngest daughter, who is, you know, pretty old as far as like not having a cell phone, like she won't have one for another year. Um, you know, we, we are not the parents who, you know, when our kids in elementary school or middle school for that matter, um, provided them cell phones. That was more, you know, once you get into high school and, um, so yeah. So thanks, Ting Ting. Alex Patino is saying, you know, when I was stationed in Fort Benning, Georgia from 2012 to 2014, cell phones were confiscated from the recruits, but we're allowed to have them for one hour a night. So yeah, we'll get into this. Like, I'm, I'm, I mean, thanks for, for posting it, Alex, because I, I think there are definite um, drawbacks, right, in general to too much time onto cell phones or whether any anything that's like, you know, a screen device, which become very addictive. So um, that's, that's a good point. So thanks for, thanks for sharing that, buddy. Um, it is, uh, it's our, it's our new friend to the show, Krabby Turtle. What about the kids that don't have phones that exist? So we'll get into that. Like what does equity look like? And <laughs> it's kind of crazy because like a lot of the kids, you know, that, um, they just seem to have phones like at the elementary schools. Right. I mean, it just kind of, it's, it's really weird. I remember when our, our youngest daughter was, you know, maybe like second, third grade. And she'd be like, and I'm the only one who doesn't have a phone. I'm like, what? And then you go to school and you'd see these kids where they'd be, you know, doing a sleepover and stuff like that. And they'd have their phones and be like, it's crazy. So yeah. It's our good friend. Bolo, Bolo in the house, Bolo in the house, Bolo, Lolo, Bolo, Canada. Thanks for the watch hours, buddy. Um, I am within 750. Bolo went to a, a Dave Chappelle show. No cell phones were allowed, obviously. Don't leak the joke. Yeah. It was cool enough to hide. So, you know, we'll get into that. Thanks, Bolo. Hope you had a good time, by the way. So, um, good, good. I appreciate it. Um, well, Ron, thanks for subscribing, buddy. So and it is not new, just a just a just a new name. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So number three, singularity. So the thought is that by the the year two thousand um, forty five, that AI and humans will have some kind of crossover, and it'll probably be similar to what you. This is the thought, right? The movie I Robot, right? Like came out fifteen years ago or whatever with Will Smith that things would kind of be like that, right? There would be the, you know, people might have neural links implanted and, and there might be, you know, robots, you know, basically, you know, doing, doing some um, assisting of mankind, um, you know, self-driving vehicles and stuff. So singularity is inevitable. So at some point we will get to that. And at some, so you talk about banning cell phones, right? you're like, ah, cell phones are bad. They're bad. But the fact is in the 1970s, a calculator, this thing right here, folks, this was like, you know, you, you had you know, this in the seventies, like go to jail. Like it's bad. You go to the office, you had a calculator. This thing's probably from the seventies, by the way. Uh, so, you know, you couldn't have a calculator because of the question was, well, if you have a calculator, like, you know, um, then, um, you're not going to learn how to do the math equation, right? And what if you're out and you have to, to do math and you don't have a calculator? Well, everybody, you know, kind of got a calculator because they were free or they were on their phone. Now they're on their phones and 
So it's the same thing here. Singularity is by the time we get to crossing over 2045, and I've heard now kind of like newer studies of saying, you know, singularity probably happened closer to like 2038, 2037, not that far away, you know, 10, 15 years. Um, so futurist Ray Kurzel, um, K-U-R-Z-L. So Ray Kurzel, did I? No. He's like, hey, you didn't spell it right. Um, you know, he's he's an expert on singularity. So the thing is, like, cell phones, the reality is, will we have cell phones in 10 years? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe they'll just be, a writ, uh, you know, on your wrist or they'll be built into some kind of, you know, glasses thing or they'll be uh, some kind of, you know, lens that you wear or just a neural link or whatever. Like, that will, will happen. It will happen. It's inevitable. So this whole thing of, of banning cell phones is, is really short-sighted, too. It's kind of like the calculator thing. Like, what's going to be the next cell phone? Again, is the cell phone just going to be something that's on your wrist, or is it going to be something kind of implanted in a lens or something like that? So um, you're not going to be able to continue to keep pace and ban technology. Singularity is inevitable. I'm not saying singularity is good or bad. just where we're going to get to. Um, but actually, I think it's going to be good. But the the thing is, right, schools are are – are like, you know, how do we handle this? It's kind of like what they're doing with calculators. I, re, you know, I remember schools that just banned, you know, one-to-one -one devices like crazy. Like we don't want kids to have a tablet or an iPhone or yeah, iPad, like what? And it's like, you know, and now they pretty much all schools do it. My as schools where my kids go, like they each get a, get a Chromebook, you know? So, um, but anyway, so so we have our, our first three things here. The one is um, for reasons to not ban cell phones. One, Cell phones are part of learning. We use them all the day, all day long to be with us. School safety. I'd rather have students with phones than without. Singularity is inevitable. So if you ban a cell phone, like eventually singularity is going to come around. Then what are you going to do? Are you going to put students in some kind of Faraday cage to, to um, not let them connect? I, I mean, some of this is kind of a little bit dystopian, a little bit, you know, science-y, but I mean, it's reality. Number four is communications be it text, email, or calling, right? A cell phone makes communication efficient. Like by having my cell phone, I can get a hold of anybody. I can, you know, text and, and I can I can do that, right? Um, so you can communicate, right, with other, uh, you know, teachers can get information out to say, oh, class is canceled day or it's in a different classroom or whatever that be and communicate with, uh, you know, parents, um, you know, all, all these things. So communications, Cell, cellular communications are part of communications, right? So, um, you know, I remember being in the 1990s, 1990s man here. I remember being in, the, by the way, School of Errors, Rethinking School Safety, the best book written about school safety, 20 bucks, 20 bucks, guys. You get the audiobook also from many places, just, you know, type in, get the audiobook. But 20 bucks for this book, it's great. It's great. It's a great book. So, um, and, and many reasons to read this, right? The rescue of 500,000 people in nine hours from lower Manhattan. My other book, The Velocity of Information right here, also an awesome book. Um, check this one out. So, yeah, how um, how people kind of hit a wall 90 days into, into chaotic situations and, and how to help them bounce back. And it, it probably isn't you, right? You're like, it's not me. But you're like, I know people that have done that. I know I have relatives that have done that. So what can I do to help them out? It's an awesome book. It's up for a major award, not a leg lamp. I, I suppose I could receive one. I don't know. But uh, I'll know within a week or two if I receive the S.I. Hayakawa Award. 
Um, this book was uh, submitted for the best of work in semantics or word meaning uh, that closed in August. So I will know soon if that book receives the award, which would be awesome. So um, yeah, they're really, they're really good books. Um, School of Errors had a big uptick at the start of the year, like a lot of sales of this book. You see the big ones behind me getting paperback, hard copy, ebook, audiobook. It's all out there. I'd narrate the audiobook. So check it out. Um, so yeah, you know, communications have a cell phone on you for communication purposes, especially if you're going mobile, right? Kids are doing much more off campus or if there's an emergency where they have to go off campus, they still have that mobile device on them. Mobile device, I guess. Navigation. Here's another reason to have a cell phone. GPS navigation apps such as what three words or ways. What three words is an app I talked about at one point. If you have, um, if you use what three words, it's free on your phone right? It will show where you're at within a three by three meter area. So let's say you're at a waiting outside at a concert and you want to meet up with your friends. You're like, here's where I am. And like, it will pinpoint that location and those other people can find you. So, and of course, ways to navigate and stuff like that. So navigation is built into these apps. Kids are used to this. Um, so again, you're separating them out from navigation, which maybe they you know, in, in actually in school, especially at a college campus, and we're not talking college, but navigating larger campuses, you know, can be facilitated through the use of GPS. Um, you can have a student use GPS. What three words could navigate them throughout a school by three meter by three meter squares? That does happen. So this is something like, right, the legislator who proposes has no idea that this even exists. But um, navigation. Number six, this is impossible to enforce. How in the world do you enforce this? So, you know, you are already short-staffed in schools. Like, that's a fact. We're 100,000 teachers down to start the school year. The neighboring the neighboring county, which is, you know, our state capital, and they pay really well. They're down 400 teachers to start the year. Des Moines is giving $50,000 bonuses to teachers, and they, they no one's coming out to do it. So, so, you know, you pass a bill like this, and so the, the you know, school principal and staff are like, what? Like, you know, so we're supposed to enforce this in addition to everything else, like vaping cartridges and just school safety stuff in general. Now you want us to enforce a phone app, right? It, it, a ban, right? You, we can't have this. It's state policy. Um, it also damages what's called school connectedness or like, you know, students trusting staff and believing staff are acting in their best interest. And they're like, hey, like, why are you hassling me about a phone? You know, there's like, you know, whatever's going on over here. Or, you know, some kids are are vaping. I don't know if that's something, you know, you should put a lot of resources into either. I mean, we're short staff. But so it's one of these things where if you're a, a school administrator, you're probably looking at this saying, this is this is both good and bad, right? The 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 good side is maybe, you know, I don't have to fight these battles of saying, oh, you know, like, it's a, I guess it's the state that decided we're not going to have phones. So it's not me. I'm not the bad person. But I still, I guess, have to enforce it. Um, but then you're like, how in the world am I going to enforce it? I mean, kids can smuggle anything <laughs> kind of like this in the school. Like a phone is so native, right? Are you going to do the same thing for staff? That's, you know, what, is, what does that look like? Because it only says students, so staff will have this. And, um, you know, like, you know, I watch these prison videos, you know, like Larry Lawton and stuff. And it's like, you know, prisoners are smuggling all this contraband phones and stuff into prisons. Well, I mean, are you going to pat this to pat students down, have a detectors? Of course, you're not going to do that. It's crazy. 
So this is impossible to enforce, um, especially because schools are, again, short-staffed. And, and if you prioritize, you're not going to say, you know, we're going to spend all our time trying to figure out who's got the phones and who doesn't. So not going to happen. So number seven it, for why we should have phones. So or, or, what, number seven is saying, why not to ban phones? So number six was like, you're, you're not going to be able to realistically enforce this. So if you have a ban, phones are still going to get in. Um, so number seven is protection. So cam the cameras provide evidence. So cellular vi you know, video for the kids, right? For kids, um, there's a lot of deep fake stuff which is, is emerging. Deep fake is like, you know, someone makes a video of you and they change what you're saying, right? So it looks like you're saying, you know, something that could get you in trouble. This actually happened, well, it happened a few times, but in 2021, um, an alleged crafted fake video of Pennsylvania high school cheerleader, Maddie Heim, she was she was vaping in this video, this deep fake, right? They had her vaping. Whoa, I'm vaping, right? And, and she got kicked off the cheerleading team. It got showed to administration. And then her mom said, she never did this. She wasn't vaping. This video has been doctored, right? It's been, it's a deep fake. And, and the, you know, we look at things like, you know, what is it? Reface, an app like that, you know, stuff like that. And, and I presented on this PBS in 2019. I said, you know, by 22, this, by 2022, like this stuff's going to get out there where it's going to be pretty feasible to make these deep fakes. So maybe the school's saying, listen, like we don't want kids to, we don't want this, this thought of uh, deep fakes coming out where they can, you know, make a deep fake of another student. Um, the John Ronson book, So You've Been Shamed, is amazing. Right. Um, so the consequences of being shamed. I mean, some of the students um, and some people have been shamed. You know, it, it it leads them to suicide. I mean, it's crazy. And then, um, you know, so also, you know, um, teachers, right, of, of a teacher having to say, I didn't, you know, I didn't say this. Right. Like so um, administrators, whatever. So the defect tech, deep fake technology, this is a defense against that. So I guess that would be another reason for banning them. Now, I'm not saying I'm for like this or for against. I'm just telling you what I think the argument would be like the seven for and seven against. I'll kind of get, you know, I'll, show, I'll tip my hand here in a little bit. But um, so here's what we did. Reasons not to ban cell phones. One, cell phones are part of learning. So um, that's the thing. Uh, number two, school safety. It's better to have cell phones sick of them and smoke detector detectors than not. Students being able to report things um, quicker. Um, number three, singularity, meaning like, you know, we're all going to have some neural link or we're going to have some, you know, something implanted or or some less intrusive device than carrying a cell phone at some point within the next 10 to 15 years. It's just going to happen. So, like, you can't ban the inevitable. And, uh, you know, so this is kind of like, you know, banning banning um, calculators in the 70s by the 80s. Like everybody had them. They were required in your syllabus. Like if you, if you came to class without a calculator, you'd get in trouble. Communications. Like we, we communicate now via our phones, be it text, email, or call. That's what we use. So you would take away uh, a communications tool that we're all used to. Navigation, GPS, um, right? Number six, it's impossible to enforce. I can tell you administrators um, do not want to spend their time enforcing this. Absolutely not. I mean, a lot of them are subbing into classrooms where, hey, like we don't have a third degree teacher today because like that person called in six, sick and we don't have any subs. So they do not want to be um, the, the phone police. Absolutely not. Number seven, protection. 
not to ban these, if you have more video evidence by cameras, um, it will help counter deep fake technology. Now I'm saying there's a limit on that and it can also facilitate, you know, the creation of deep fakes. But I'm saying right now, like I would prefer that if, if I was presenting anywhere, right? Like I always have a camera on me. Always, 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 always. Like my own camera, I like set it up and record because I never want someone to come back and say like, you said this. And I'd be like, I don't remember saying that. But like, if I don't have a recording, authentic recording, like to counter that, you know, it, it's hard then to, to say that from memory. So, so um, protection. So let's get over into the 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 chat here. So welcome to our good friend uh, Vanessa Kitty. People will do criminal acts regardless of loss. Yeah, you are correct. It is our good friend Jordan B from SK. Hey, Jordan, I saw you posting on our good friend Super Pilotish's site, who will be a guest on the show one week from today, Graham Wilson, um, and. Uh, He's a lot of fun. He's a smart guy. So that will be one week from today. Graham will be on the show. So thank you, Jordan, for being over here. And thanks, hopefully, for a, a sub from you. So, yeah. Um, SD, is it South Dakota? I don't know. What is it? So, um, Jordan, say no. So this channel is about school and community safety, and about half the shows are interviews. So we have Graham Wilson pilot and flight instructor on next week but we've also had on the show larry lawton america's biggest jewel thief with 1.5 million youtube followers was a guest on the show so we get on all kinds of things like that so and your good friend the safety doc who's been on pbs two times and has written two books um school of airs rethinking school safety america this is an awesome book awesome book and this is even a more awesome book the velocity of information released in April, 2022. It's, it's, I think it's the most genuine analysis of the year 2022 ever written 471 endnotes, 12 interviews. It is an awesome book. Check it out. If you like it, leave a review on Amazon. Someone posted a review today, which was awesome. I appreciate that. So Vanessa is saying $500,000 of pandemic funds being spent on cell phone lockers. How are such funds designed for staff pigs? Yeah. So that's a really good point. So uh, I've seen, oh my God, like I see a lot of this stuff at conferences. I don't go to conferences. Um, I just, I, I typically like check what is being presented at conferences because usually conferences present on easy topics. <laughs> they don't present on really hard topics like this, right? Um, they kind of present on the softball topics, I, I call it. And, and I, I point that out in my classes. I'm like, well, you know, like here's what they should be presenting on, right? Like, what do you do if a student wanders away with autism and they go into a, a, a woods and the woods has a sign posted, like, no trespassing. So, like, um, do you send your staff into the woods, even though now they're trespassing, they're violating the law to look for the student? Or, I mean, like, those type of things, like, as a presentation, like, yeah, police. and But, nah, people will do that. So, yeah, this whole thing of, like, you know, these $500,000 for, you know, cell phone lockers and stuff. You're right, Vanessa. There's a lot of crazy stuff being pitched to schools of saying, you know, hey, like you can do this. And then, um, you know, because the, the argument is saying students can't learn if they have their phones, right? That is the argument when you do that of saying they're distracting and all that. Apparently like video games, handle video game stuff weren't distracting, but um, so that's the argument. And apparently you have to pay, as you said, you know, these expensive ways to lock up phones, right? <laughs> when, I mean, I remember when, as a school administrator, 
toward the end of my career, we ended up having to buy gun safes in our nurses' offices because so many kids were administered medications during the school day. Um, you know, so these medications, like people knew that they were there, right? You know, and we didn't want people to, well, if they broke in, we didn't want people taking off with, you know, big saccharidolin and these other medications, you know, Xanax and stuff like this that were being administered to kids from their physicians. So, um, you know, so that's a, so that's a good thing, um, to note here is, is people come up with these crazy ideas and say, you know, here we can have this, this special area. People can put their phones and we'll charge you $500,000 for it when, you know, Really, like, right, you could do that for uh, significantly less, but, you know, this becomes a market for people. So that's a good point, Vanessa. Um, uh, so Ron Wayne is saying, I remember sneaking my calculator watch. I flip it around to the inside. Yeah, that's a good point. I never did that. Um, but I did wear my calculator watch. Um, <laughs> so by the time I got into the, you know, it came around by the time I already kind of knew, like, a lot of the stuff and, but uh, but it was really cool. Like I wish I still had that watch because man, that was awesome technology for you know what are we talking like thirty five years ago? Um, and it was like a regular you know like a flat panel for like the numbers. It was just cool. So that's a good good idea. So Krabby's saying that's a good student. Um, and um, so yeah, let's um Jordan's saying tracking, tracking, yeah. Well, yeah, obviously. So um having the phones in class is an added asset, saying Vanessa. So right, we we just will we'll always use phones, all right, or or some derivative of phones. Robert is saying zero weight oil. If you put a, a phone in zero weight oil, it'll float. Right? It'll float. So and but if it does get sticky, then it's a real problem. So but most of the times they'll float in zero white oil. So Robert Rupert Harrison, everybody. Hey, welcome, buddy. Um, what's up? So, um, yeah, it's good stuff. Vanessa's saying the phones are one of the best connected devices ever invented. I can teach math topics from said phones, examples instantly uh, available and so forth. Yeah. So let's get over to the other side of this argument. So we just gave seven reasons to not ban phones. Again, cell phones are part of learning. They contribute to school safety. Um, singularity is inevitable. So if you ban the cell phone, it's going to be some wearable lens or some neural link in 10 or 15 years. Just going to happen. Um, we we communicate with our cell phones. So you'd be taking away you know, important communication tools, especially also navigation. That's number five. Number six, impossible to enforce. Can't underscore this enough. You, pay, you pass this at a state level, you cannot come in as a board of education and undo this and say, well, our board, our school district is going to be exempt from this. We're not going to ban cell phones. Well, you can't do that when the state passes this. So um, your, your superintendents and principals and teachers are going to be like, well, what, who's enforcing this, right? And you know, we're already short staffed. And protection, like from deep fakes, having an archive of, of information. Reasons to ban. So reasons to ban these phones. So why should we get rid of cell phones? So um, one compelling argument would be we have an over-reliance on technology, right? Um, cell phones are, are, are super integrated into to our lives, right? But, um, you know, it is, it's, it's too much. Um, we are, we are, we, we just have too much of a dependence on the, the technology. 
so that's that's the argument. The, the, I guess the argument is saying, you know, well, what happens if the technology is not available or it goes offline or things like this? Could you still do those skills, like in math? Like, what if you don't have a calculator? Could you still find the square root of, you know, 184? I guess I don't know. So you're thinking, you know, well, whatever. So it's over reliance on technology or the technology, I guess, to make the decisions and and to. So like if you're if you're researching, you type in something in a Google search, right? Google curates that for you. But if you are like interested in something, you're kind of trying to figure it out like on your own, you might go down a different path than what Google thinks you should, you know, have for this information. So over reliance on technology. Personally, I think that's not a good argument to ban cell phones because you know we're we're in a technological society, right? But over reliance, so. Um, number two, distraction. This is this is authentic, right? Kids, um, you know, texting during class, right? It's when they should be attending to the teacher. So social media companies employ psychologists and human behavior experts to to get you addicted to your phones. Like they they do that. And um, you know, it it, it would be, you know, if basically it, it started when you're gaming, right? When gaming went online and it'd be like, hey, Billy, you haven't fed your dragon. You can pay like five dollars, and we'll have somebody feed your dragon so they don't die. And you know, sad face on dragon. Okay, like you know, I'll, I'll pay five dollars worth of tokens, and you feed the dragon and stuff like that. So, so this whole thing of saying you know it's a distraction, you know, kid, the the and it takes away from learning. Now, I would flip that on its head and say, you know, there as Vanessa said, you know, there's like apps out there. There's many ways to incorporate phones into learning. The the app Poll Everywhere, P O L L Everywhere, is just one. And if anybody has like a clearinghouse site for how to use apps and learning, I'd appreciate that. Cause I was looking at, I didn't find like a really good clearinghouse, but I found like a lot of sites that kind of had ideas, but um, I've used poll everywhere and I've been, I both used it as a, the person, you know, a, the author and then as the recipient, like being in the audience. So it worked, it was pretty cool. So basically um it enables students to, I think there's a plus to this too, because there's such, there's this thing in schools, right? Where it's group think. If you ask for like an opinion, you know, like, you know, you know, should we go back to the moon or something? You know, like one student right away is like, no, because of whatever, it's like burning up like all these resources and things like this. And, and uh, you know, once somebody kind of jumps out like that, like other people be like, yeah, I'm not sure I'm going to be the second one to, to step onto this like hot topic. So when you use a phone, it keeps people anonymous, right? And, and you can kind of, people feel like they're being heard and they're also not having, kids especially, like without having someone step on their opinion or that they have to fall in line with, with like the two loudest students in class, right? So that's really an important thing. It's a good thing. And I, I like it also when I do school safety consulting because, you know, like who has authority to, you know, or I have authority to, to authorize a lockdown drill, right? Like if you do that and people are responding with their phones, like that will look much different up on the screen. The yes and no versus if you're just having like raise your hand or like, you know, say something because then whatever is kind of loudest, people just kind of try to glom over to that. But if you're actually asking people and they're where they can be anonymous and be authentic, like you get some pretty, uh, pretty rich information. So that's a good thing. So that's a good thing. So um, distraction, yeah. But I would say the reality is you have to just use phones as part of learning, right? 
So students can take a phone if you're doing something about like chemicals, right? Take pictures of different chemicals in your house, right? Like, you know, whatever, you know, you're using for cleaners and stuff like that, come to school. Let's sort them out. Like, is this a medical supply, detergent, fuel, discretionary? Like, so how does this get recycled? And I mean, you could break these down into lessons and stuff like that. So there's many ways you can do that. Um, bullying, number three, cyberbullying is real, right? And it's an unsavory side effect of social media. So that doesn't happen exclusively in the school setting, but we know it happens. 2019 school crime supplement to the National Crime Victimization Survey uh, indicated that 16% of students in 912 experienced cyberbullying. So we know that's a thing, cyberbullying, right? So the thought would be, right, don't have um, the, the argument um, to ban phones would be, if we don't have the phone in school, we would have decreased cyberbullying, which probably... Right, but it, but it would only be like during that school time, and and like you know, so so yeah, it doesn't like eliminate um, the issue. It just kind of like takes it offline for certain times of the day, maybe. Uh, number four, recording instruction, proprietary materials. So this was something that was really big during the start of the pandemic, when schools went online. A lot of schools had to contract their their vendors because they buy curriculum. Schools don't develop their own curriculums. Like they buy curriculums from Pearson and places like that. So they would buy a curriculum and and now they're delivering it. And the part of the rule was like, you know, you can give these worksheets or whatever to parents, but like the other part of the curriculum you can't give out, right? Because, you know, they've spent a lot of money developing this and you can't give this, this out as a school. So the thing is, if you have a cell phone, you could record all of this curriculum or the teacher's curriculum, right? Maybe that they've put together and then that could be replicated. And, and maybe the teacher had time, right, that the district had given them to put this together. So, I mean, that's not as strong of an argument until you get to the college level. But it is still like if, if someone is recording proprietary, you know, Hutton Mifflin stuff that's that's out there, whatever that's up on a screen or, you know, taking images of it you know, these companies will be like, what's well, the deal? Like, you know, we spent all this time putting this together and a couple of students, you know, took images of it and now it's out there. So that's, uh, you know, again, a reason to say, hey, like, let's not have these phones in because it's it introduces a breach to proprietary information. Um, also think about intruder drills. So if you're doing a lockdown drill or something and a student records it and then like post it on social media. So like now your drill protocol is out there or other sensitive information about like areas in your school. And of course, like, you know, getting cell phones, obviously, into bathrooms or locker rooms is, is a dangerous thing. So um, number five, deep fakes. So this we know we talked about this before um, as a, a reason to. Um, to have cell phones is to protect yourself from, you know, a, a claim of a deep fake by having some counter evidence. But also, like, if you have, you know, phones in school, it's, it increases the likelihood that a phone could be used to, a student could use a phone to create a deep fake. And, you know, what that would involve is, you know, recording another student or recording a staff member or an adult or whatever, and then changing it. So it would be some negative, you know, thing that they were, they were saying violation go to kind of, you know, whatever, you know, very, it could be where it's a separation of employment. Schools and police jump at this right now. They jump at this and and it's hard for them to like verify. Well, you know, this is what the video says. And, and so we see that a lot. If you have video evidence, it's hard to suss out if it's authentic or if it's been doctored. People just kind of go with it. 
and then how much time would it take? You know, you could do that and someone could be, you know, kicked off of, you know, like a cheerleading squad or an athletic team or like booted out of school on a suspension while somebody tries to figure this out. So it's pretty crazy. Equity. So, right, you know, the rich kids can afford the phones, poor kids can't. Equity is an argument against one-to-one devices. It always has been. So schools that didn't want to go to iPads or, or tablets or say, you know, it's not equitable because some students can afford it, some can't. Now, most of the schools that I know, I actually don't know a school that doesn't do this. They provide the mobile device, right? Because they come down in price, a Chromebook or an iPad or something. So my kids have those. You know, they have their school iPad, their iPad or Chromebook or whatever. So like that argument doesn't really hold anymore. But um, and and in Brooklyn in 2008 or 2007, I think it was 2008, they started to provide um, cell phones to to kids. So. You know, the thing is, right, that the cell phone is kind of becoming the new tablet, basically. So you could provide this to kids. And then I guess the question would be, like, do you have a school-issued cell phone that you could use and then your personal cell phone you couldn't use? Like, I don't know. That's a good question. I just I don't know the answer to that. But especially, so the equity thing is saying, you know, well, all kids wouldn't have this. Well, yeah, they would because you'd be able to buy cell phones. But then the question is, if I have my own cell phone, do I have to use a school one? Um you know, so that's the thing. So like in my, in my school district where my kids go to, they have to use the school issued devices to get onto the net and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, I don't know. That seems kind of clunky, right? To say, well, I have my school issued phone and I have my other phone and, you know, I got my school issued and a school issued phone. So it'd be probably pretty lame, right? I mean, it's a good, but I don't know. So it's, so the argument of equity would quickly go away because it's not going to be that expensive to to get a basic cell phones into the hands of kids. Then you have to say like, well, you know, are we going to, so when they get home, are we going to provide them a Wi-Fi hotspot to it all? So all this stuff like you can see in this bill, like it's not addressed, right? Number seven goes back to the argument of singularity. The reasons to ban cell phones, singularity of saying, you know, the as we get closer to merging with a AI, right? You know, the deal is we we are cog- cognitively offloading. I wrote about in da, 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 the velocity of information, which is an awesome book. If you haven't read it, please read it, please order it, please review it. Hey, Vanessa, please review this book. Um, yeah, put it up on Amazon, it'd be great. Somebody post a review today, awesome. Um, saying, you know what? Um, we are offloading a lot of information to the cloud. Kids are just hoping they'll be able to log in and get their cloud-based files or get their maps or all of this stuff. And if we have a situation where they can't do that because of a, you know, an EMP or, a, you know, some kind of a power outage or solar flare or virus, like it could be a ransomware type thing, right? A virus impacts. There are many things that could could cause the internet to fail or we, I wrote about it in the velocity of information. Governments can shut down the internet, you know, Myanmar and Belarus and stuff like that. Um, what do you do then? So what do you do when like you're so used to always going to the internet for every set of directions, every piece of information, whatever. So the school, an argument would be, you know, we have to be teaching these parallel skills of like, what do you do if the phone's not available to you? How do you get information? How do you get from point A to point B? How do you verify information? How do you communicate with people? What do you do? Um, So that is important, right? Because, I mean, that also makes sense. You know, we need to be able to operate without the, the technology, even though it's become very stable. Um, There is a point where it, 
you know, it could be temporarily or long-term unavailable to us. So how do we function? So I think there's something in there, but also I don't think that necessarily warrants like a ban of cell phones, right? Um, but so, so let me do a recap here. So this bill came out, um, but first of all, let me go, let me go back to the, let me go back to the chat. So let me do this. So thank you for everyone who's been here. Thank you for the, uh, the, uh, thumbs up. I, I, I very much appreciate that. Oh, we're at 22 thumbs up here and, uh, that is awesome. So yeah, thumbs up. Um, I greatly appreciate that subbing to the channel. Um, and yeah, and also, you know, both books, right. But you get this book for $20 and it's not just school safety. This is an awesome book, you know, and just reading the story, this how about the psychological aspect of rescuing 500,000 people in nine hours from lower Manhattan. You know, I worked with the people in New York city on this, how this happened. This is such a good book it includes like Rocky Four, how that played into a rescue that happened like 15 years later. Um, and of course, you know, what I think is just, you know, phenomenal philosophy of information, um, came out in 2022. It's really like the truth book of, you know, 2020, like, you know, we were all deemed essential or non-essential. We woke up one day. So check out those books. If you, um, are compelled, please leave a review. Philosophy of Inf or School of Air is also an audio book that I recorded. Philosophy of Information is an audio book, but that doesn't release until April by contract. It's all done. It's all ready to go. Just have to press a button, but, um, so yes, I, I greatly, greatly appreciate all of you here. So thanks for the 24 thumbs up now and for the watch hours and sharing the show and, and all of that. I, I greatly appreciate that. So let's go back to the, to the chat. Um, so, um, right here, let's go to, um, Jordan B from SK. My old boss taught me to think of the cell phone as more of a tool, but that was nine years ago. The tech has changed a lot since then. But you know what, Jordan? I'm glad that you said this because I I talked with my neighbor who um, owns a, a, a commercial drone business. And so he's selling drones to like, you know, the, the power companies so they can go up and inspect the poles and, and uh, you know, realtors, they can, you know, get drone image of, of their area that they're selling and uh but search and rescue too and and we're talking about search and rescue i was talking with him and uh and he said you know you have to view it as a tool right because uh, it's just another another thing you can use for search and rescue like the new fire engines that are built the brand new engines that are coming out they have the compartment you know if it's a rescue engine it's supposed to be you know, first on the scene it's a compartment and you're just like here's where your drone is going to be like a drone comes out and usually the compartment has like a 20 inch monitor or whatever that's in it. So you can see when you're flying the drone, you can see where, what the drone is over. And that's just part of the technology now, just part of the tool. And if we think about like lifeguards, right? Lifeguards use drones in some big areas right now to, to get out and to drop, you know, like flotation devices and stuff like that. And, you know, um, people are like, I don't know, man, about this. But then the lifeguards were like, you know, 20 years ago, we started to use wave runners. That wasn't a technology we had before. So we could get out there to people faster. So the technology is there. It's a tool. So I'm glad you put that put that out there. Um, Vanessa is saying a federal judge just ruled that schools trying to record and scan students' rooms before a test is unconstitutional. So, wow, I didn't know that. So thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah. And, and this is one of those things where I think, people can, especially schools can kind of overthink this. 
And, you know, this is one of those things like, you know, a bill or like having these type of, of things is a good thing. Maybe not, you know, but uh, thanks for sharing that. Um, Zippy's saying to Bacon, uh, more of a societal one. See, coercion, it's all good for business. Oh, my goodness. Right. Yeah. Uh, Jordan is also saying um, 1A audits show the value of having the phone, holding the police accountable. Not all auditors are good examples, but I've seen really good examples. So it's a piece of forensic evidence, right? That is that is the society that we live in. And um, there is a lot of weight placed on um, video a lot of weight. Uh, so, you know, you, you, you pretty much have to, to have it right. And, and what do people do if things kind of get edgy or confrontational, right? They bring out their phone to have that record. We see more people putting those, you know, phones in cars, ring cameras, you know, stuff like that. So it is the way things have gone is it's a forensic tool. And if you don't have it right, and you're just trying to recreate from memory. And I worked as an expert witness, right? We know, not we as, uh, but but like lawyers know that memory uh, isn't reliable. So if you ask like somebody the same set of questions, but you space it out over like three months, they will remember differently because in the last three months, different things have happened to them, which have kind of conflated their memory. And so that's well known, like it's just part of memory. So to have this and then also have it timestamped, metadata, all of that, where this was taken, like the app Solocator is really good for that. Is really important providence. What happened first? What happened second? Those type of things. So, um, so I think you know it's we're, we've been there for a while. Um, but you know, so it's really teaching kids maybe how do you function in a society where you know there is this this you know ev this video monitoring that's that's going on, right? And um, also then how do you identify what is valuable information to you? Um, from video, if you have like conflicting video, like how do you, how do you rate that? Right. So I wrote about that in velocity of information. Joe Dolio, you know, does work in that. So the police don't have a lot of like <laughs> idea how to do this. That's where I, I go to, you know, I talk to my, my students and I'm like, you know, if you, if you start to have more students showing, you know, submitting videos of saying here was someone vaping or someone saying something that, you know, is, is derogatory against school policy. Um, it's kind of a novelty at first when you bring in the police on something like that and they're trying to figure it out and look at video and stuff. But like when you get like three, four of those a week, like it just overwhelms people. Police be like, we don't have, we don't have the software to do this. And as I said, like there's nothing out there right now that, uh, that schools or police can go to, to say, oh yeah, this video, like it's been altered. Right. Or to even say like there's a 90% confidence level that this video has been altered. Nothing like that exists on a, a very um, accessible scale. Like it might higher up in government, right? But your local police department, your schools, it does not. So that's where maybe your best bet is to have your counter video, you know, to, to prove that. So that's pretty scary stuff though. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is yikes. Um, this is a ting-ting thing, but only squinting at a screen all day will eventually create eye problems. Yeah, too much screen time, so good, good point. Um, Vanessa is saying, in college, students buy the books but never open them for the classes they're trying. Oh, my God, you know, I spend so much money on, on books. This is this is actually required in my one of my classes, and other people that teach, you know, use this book too, but... 
And I have many parts of the book that like, you know, I go back and we link to the, the syllabus, but, and, uh, but you're right. Like I, I have, um, some of the books actually I'm looking now cause I don't use them, but some of the books I bought in college, I use as computer stands to make my computers all at the same height, but, uh, I never opened them once. Right. Or so, or they put stuff on a reserve in the library. I never go. It was just, it was one of those things, right. You know, so it's a good point. Uh, and the thing is, if you have a phone or you have a tablet or whatever, but let's say a phone, you can access real time stuff. When I was in my final years of teaching and using stuff, I'd be like, what's happening like today? Like I could show like what was happening with the Chicago river being dyed green um, for St. Patrick's day. So like, when did this start? Like, and then, you know, we go and how do they do it? Like how much material, what is the kind of stuff that they, so bring up a video, like here, they did it this morning. Like, you know, they dyed it, you know, for St. Patrick's day and students, you know, and then they'd be like, well, does it stain the walls? Well, I don't know. Well, how did it start? Well, it started because they dyed it green once so they could see if the walls were leaking into basements. And so like, you can get into all of this. Does it harm the wildlife? Well, no, it doesn't because it's this, but um, how long does it take to, I mean, all these things, but you can see it in real time. Like you, where you couldn't, you know, textbook stuff, you really couldn't have, you couldn't have that stuff. So yeah, te and textbooks are crazy expensive, right? I mean, like this is as a, as a textbook, this is 20 bucks, but I bought textbooks back when I was in college, I mean, back in the day. I mean, they were like 150, 100, 200 bucks, you know, it's crazy. And at the end of the semester, you could trade them in like, you know, really on the cheap, you know, so. Man, I don't know. It's crazy. So, um, yeah, that is, uh, let's, let's see here. Vanessa's saying, I never sold my textbooks. I didn't, I sold probably half my back and I, I have a couple of them, like one of my psychology books and I have a couple of books that are worth keeping. I have all my firefight. I took firefighting courses when I was in college. I still have all of those, um, periodically go through them, but, uh, resources for the future. So yeah. Um, it's our good friend, Andrew S. Andrew's saying, hey, a friend in high school tricked me to grab a book on a top shelf and her other friend took a pic of me. It looks like I'm doing a salute from the 40s. Oh, my goodness. I can just imagine she might be able to cancel me 16 years. You know, that's the thing, right? Those are the type types of things that schools, schools and Andrew schools, I can tell you, just are not prepared to deal with this. Um, they don't have the personnel. They don't have the policies. They don't know how to authenticate, you know, um, information like that. So even if they did see that image of you, like they'd have to make a judgment on that. And, you know, so those are the type of things that get really complicated for school. And then, again, they're just not there. They are just not there with this. So um, Tinkin is saying, hey, he I wanted a library study room since I was a young girl. That's why keep any book I get. So, wow. At my high school, we had a, we had a library, we had a couple library study rooms. And at night, my friend Jeff would uh, sneak up to the top of the school. So this was, was a two-story school built in the 60s. He would go to the first floor, which was like the shop class. And if you could get to the roof, you could get over to the two rooms where the study rooms were. And he would always leave one like open, like the window. So you just had to press on it. And what he would do is he would open it and he would bring in like Doritos and Skittles and soda and you put up in the wrap in the ceiling tile. So then when he would ask to use a room, he'd go in there and, and like, so I knew it too. Like he'd be like, Hey, go into that room. And there's like a bag of Doritos up above. So, and one time when we were in high school, 
uh, we were in the room and, and, and back in those days, the fire siren sounded every time there was a fire to summon the firefighters. And we, and uh, our senior year, we all left um, the library and we said, oh, we're part of the fire department. And the librarian's like, good luck, <laughs> good luck. And uh, we, we just uh, walked out of class, uh, you know, I don't, we got, there was never, we just came back at some point. There was never a consequence for that. They're like, they were there fighting the fire. They know they're at, no, they're not absent. They're fighting the fire. I heard the siren. What's wrong with you? They're 18. I think we, have, you know, it's kind of like a Ferris Bueller's day off. But like, that was one of the most convincing moments. I remember the librarians like, by all means, like, don't let me stop you. Like, go fight the fire. So, yeah. But uh, kind of unpredictable when you can pull play that card when you're in high school. But uh, but it worked. So, I, yeah. To this day, like they, they that's their that's their recollection. So you know, what was the best thing about being a high school librarian? You know, helping the kids tell you that. But you know, one time there was like a fire, and a couple of students, like you know, they're part of the fire department. I'm you know, 18, right, and stuff, whatever. But still seniors in high school, and I let them go. Like I didn't make a hassle for them. You know, it was one of the coolest things I did as a librarian. So probably talking about that. I don't, I don't remember who the librarian was. Um. Uh, Jordan um, is saying, good for public alerts. Over the past 40 hours, 10 dead in something like, yeah, in Canada. Sorry, really sorry to learn about that. But you're right. Like, so a phone is crucial for updates right now and, and public alerts. Again, it's this, the society that, that we live in. Um, Vanessa is saying, schools just expel students rather than try to keep them in the schools at the slightest problem that arises. I think there's, I, I shouldn't say, I think that there's something obviously to that, Vanessa. You're right on. But the, the, I think the expelling doesn't happen nearly as much as it used to. And I wrote about it in my article, Student Abeyance Agreements, which Phi Delta Kappen has accepted for publication as a feature. I submitted it back in July. I pretty much knew it would be an article. I didn't know if it would be a feature for them, Phi Delta Kappen, which is the top education journal which is has citable credibility. So um, they've been around for like 110 years. Really difficult to get published by Cap and much less featured. And they got a hold of me last week and said, you know, we went through everything and we're going to feature your article for November, December. I'm like, yeah, great. So my article um, is very well cited. It's basically saying schools are using what's called an abeyance agreement or suspended suspension to get kids out of school without having to ever report it. So kind of like you said expulsion, but they don't really write it down because expulsions are reportable to the state and to the Office of Civil Rights. So they do this kind of behind the scenes practice that's never recorded. And if you get a freedom of information request, you never have to report this as a school. So the whole article is about that. I'll share it out like we know when, once it's published, but it's for sure being published. They got hold of me and say, yeah, we're going to showcase this. And and uh, that's good. It helps my Google Scholar, helps my university stuff. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think you know there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that going on. So it's like if you look at school suspension numbers, they look much improved over the last ten years. That's all fake. <laughs> it's all fake. Not true at all. Uh, shifting to charter schools and the charter schools push them out as well. So yeah, there's a lot of things that happen. And and going back further to the documentation of that. It, a lot of that goes into abeyance agreement, um, which I will type here, abeyance agreement. And I will I will share that article. I can share parts of it, six, 
between when it's published and six months out. And then after six months, I can kind of freely share it out. So, uh, but it's a big honor to have that, uh, to have that article accepted for publication. It's really like a one in a thousand chance to have an article like that featured. I mean, I've written a lot of articles in my day. Um, and, you know, I've had a lot of stuff published of, you know, Google Scholar at PBS, but like to be featured in a major journal is really difficult. Um, and things just have to fall into place and they did. So um, thankful for that. So let's go back into, so we talked about the pros and cons, right, of of banning phones. And now let me, you know, kind of get into my <laughs> my stuff here, you know. You know, so I gave you like, you know, bo both sides, right? So um, the deal is, the dealio here is that uh, I, I think it's a really bad idea for at a state level to come out and to say we're going to ban cell phones because, you know, flat out, you come out, you, you have time to prepare for this, right? As a school, like, what does this look like? I mean, you know, many of you came up with the the questions like, well, what about a smartphone or what about whatever? I mean, right, like no one's talked about this. So you don't have enough time to put this in place. Um, your administrators and teachers, you, know, you don't have the staff. Is this the hill that you want to fight on? Like, is this where you want to be when there's, you know, vaping or other things or whatever? And is this where you really want to be spending your time and, and to deal with your fragile student relationships, right? To, to try to say, you know, can't have a phone. So now with this said, like, is it, is it okay to have where, you know, students come into a classroom and they, you know, you're, you expect them to have their phones off and expect them or to use some kind of phone cozy or locker or whatever, just say, you know, you can't have it out. Like, I think that's a reasonable expectation. I don't know. And I think, but also, you know, use a phone, integrate a phone into your lessons, you know, students, making videos about things and, and uh, you know, stuff like that, using the, te the technology. And maybe that's where professional development needs to to shift. But, and the other side is like, you know, if kids are really into what you're doing as as an instructor, like they'll, they'll comply, like they won't do these things. I mean, they're, so, you know, you can back up and this was the same exact argument made when, when students got iPads and Chromebooks, they'll always be on them, right, you know, and, and so it's just, but this is a good point. We go into conferences. I, I look at conferences. There aren't breakout sessions on, you know, how to increase um, students' um, attention spent on the teacher versus spent on their personal device. Like what's been actually studied and proven to increase that? Like what are some, some things that have a baseline and a change from baseline? What are some strategies? Like no one presents on that. And, and also like, how to incorporate um, the cell phones into learning. Like you might have some, you know, breakout that's kind of, you know, over there. It might be a vendor trying to sell some product, but like you should have more stuff on that. So I I, I think banning, uh, banning it's a, a waste. I mean, I, you, you can get it at some level, right? I think you could say, and I think at the level, right, of maybe elementary, like below fifth grade or whatever, because you could say, you know, then, it's a property thing, right? You have a very expensive piece of proper, property in your possession um, that, you know, we, we don't want you to uh, to have, uh, right? Because it could get lost or it could get, you know, taken by another student or it could get misplaced or, you know, just the responsibility of having something like that, right? 
you know, it's the same reason you don't have a kindergartner in charge of administering their own EpiPen, right? I mean, so, you know, I think there are some things like that, but I wouldn't, this, I wouldn't be on this hill of trying to ban cell phones. I think it's a really bad move. Um, now, in school safety instances, when people are, students are calling in, it can get really confusing to responders of because the student calls in. So, like, where are they located? And, like, they only have one perspective from where they're at of if they hear something or they can say there's three people, but maybe there's one person or maybe there's two. So you can get a lot of conflated information, but that's more of something for professional development for 911 and dispatch to work out. And that's also part of GPS. So it is something where I think the biggest problem I have with school safety is the apps that get sold because they're not tested on students. Uh, like students aren't used to using these. Students with disabilities are usually excluded from the testing of apps. They don't know how to use them. Um, you know, I, when I worked at the School for the Blind, like I remember we had somebody come in and try to sell apps. And uh, I, I, so, you know, this thing of, of selling cell phone apps, right? You know, like kids, kids who are blind, like had cell phones. Like pretty much every kid, you know, who, who was, you know, middle school or high school had their own cell phone. They have voiceover and they're really proficient doing like everything they had to do. Like I think I shared the story of of uh, the the kid who who had a dating app, and then uh, the only thing was like he well, there were a couple things with it that weren't like um, accessible. But eventually, like he had matches, and like he said to me, he said, "Hey, like Mr. P or Dr. P or whatever, you know, he said, hey, like would you mind like checking out some of these matches and, and giving me like your honest feedback of like is this somebody I should should contact?" And I said, "Well, I appreciate that you trust me." <laughs> So, and I wouldn't lead you down, or lead you astray, but, uh, but yeah, I, I can't do that, right? <laughs> can't do that for you, but, um, but one of the things we had a vendor come in, this is a, this is a amazing story. I did share this one vendor came in and I had some students around a table. One of the student, student was Lindsay, who a uh, high school senior, uh, super bright, just amazing, amazing kid, just great kid too, just, but super smart kid. And uh, Lindsay completely blind, right? So, so the vendor comes in with a, the, you know, passing out these phones and whatever, and then uh, and says, you know, it's it's got whatever app on it. So, if um, there's a lockdown, like you can be notified and you know, all this stuff. So, so you know, Lindsay and some kids who are in school for blind do have sight, you know, um, different degrees of sight. But Lindsay had zero zero sight, completely blind. So she gets a phone and she's, you know kind of working around with it and she goes hey like you know i have a question like how do you uh, i can't i can't access this like right it, um, i'm blind and uh so the vendor comes over to her and he's and he's like oh yeah don't worry about it just a second here so he takes her phone mess around with it he's like there i made the text larger so then like you know Lindsay gets it Lindsay just it in, in only the way like someone who is really sure about themselves could do and this was just classic. She's like, hey, like I'm blind. Like making the text larger, like doesn't <laughs> make me less blind. I can't see this. Is there voice over, which has been innate to, you know, Apple and Android voice, you know, devices for years and stuff is built in like voiceover. Well, how do you turn the voiceover on for the app? And, and then the person's like, well, I, the vendor's like, I don't, we don't, we didn't design it. Like we'll do that in, in an update. And there, the old update thing, like you'll never do it. You'll never do it. So, um, so Lindsay really put him on the spot. We didn't get the app because, right, Lindsay's it has to be accessible to to Lindsay and other kids. So I thought that was awesome. Like, it was one of the coolest coolest moments as an administrator to see uh, to 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 see that unfold. Where the vendors like we never tested it on kids who are visually impaired, right? 
So oh, does Tesla gives away autism or whatever? No. So, um, but yeah. So that's that's probably my biggest thing with the phones is the apps that the schools jump at um, to put on these things. But you know, again, I I would um, typically not be on the side of banning phones un unless you know you're you're doing it with younger kids, restricting access because then against it's, it's, you know, like having a gold watch or something like that, you know, on a, a 4k kid. Like I'm not, I'm not sure I want him or her in here with that, you know, because they keeping track and the responsibility again, you know, you have certain thresholds of age you get to like if a kid can, I think when, I think a good rule of thumb would be if a kid could administer their own medication, then they could use a cell phone. So really maybe that, that I say, come out maybe like third, fourth grade, like to do their own EpiPen or, um, you know, insulin, stuff like that. Like if, so I think there would be kind of a crossover, um, but, you know, so yeah, you know, so there's reasons for and against it, but this bill, I can tell you if uh, it's kind of like hung up right now, well, you're not going to do anything now because school started, right? Like it's, it's a it's a bill where someone felt they had to do something, so they just propose a bill, and then your bill's like a paragraph long, and it's like, well, it's more complicated than that. Uh, but it's a bad idea. There's a bad idea to do this. You should always have a listening session. So this is another point. So like a lot of the a lot of the bills have listening sessions. Um, so most of 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 your your bills have some kind of input session of you know a couple weeks to a couple months. And a lot of school safety stuff is usually, you know, a couple of months. People come in like, hey, we know we're going to have this bill to change whatever, like door locks or whatever. Like you come in and give your, you know, thoughts on this as a school administrator, parent or whatever. I've done that many times, you know, come in. But like this should have an open period of time where people come in from schools or whatever. And, and they just say, like, here's, here's what I think about this. Here's why this is a good idea. I think it's a good idea. Here's why it's not here's the implications it would have on me hey did you think about like what it's going to do for a smartphone or smartwatch um what are the consequences like am i supposed to suspend a student for this am i supposed to expel a student what are we supposed to do for this how do we report this out on the state if we suspend a student because they didn't um you know we suspend a student because they they had their phone like now that's a something we report to the state and the feds and office of civil rights like was so all these questions right so there should be some kind of listening session. So it's a, it's a bad bill. I don't think it'll go anywhere, but this could happen in any state, right? And actually any school board could do this. Like any a school board could not undo this bill. So if this bill passed, a school board cannot come in and say, we're not going to follow what the state's doing. Well, I guess they could, and the state would have to, you know, deploy consequences or, or freeze their funding or whatever. But any school district though, Board of Education could come out and say, we have a policy banning um, the use of cell phones during instructional time. They'd have to get in the weeds in that, just like we talked about. Like, what does that mean? What age is? And are you putting them in a, as Vanessa said, like a $500,000 protective cage for these things? Or, or you know, what is what are the consequences? Um, but again, I would say that's not where you want to spend your time. We've just you know, come out of pandemic. It's lost a lot of learning time. Schools are short staff. Administrators, don't do this. Don't do these type of bills. Oh, my God. How many, how many schools, how many, how many states require schools to lock their doors? So does anybody remember that from one of my earlier shows? You put it in the chat here. How many, how many states out of our 50 states, or as Bolo says, 51, he counts Canada. Not quite there with you yet. Although like Bolo, you're the guy. Um, how many states require schools to lock their doors during instructional time? 
So it's Andrew. Andrew got it. So Andrew wins a brand new Chrysler Cordoba with uh, Corinthian leather seating. So I have to see if it's in stock, though. If it's not, then we have to substitute. So I don't know what it might be, um, Andrew, but it, it might be. It uh, I don't know. I don't know, man. Okay, Andrew's saying one. So it's Kentucky. My God. Andrew, you got it. So, and uh, yeah, so the fact is, right, it is it is Kentucky. Kentucky is the only, since 2020, it's the only state that requires schools to um, to lock their doors. So, you know, you get into this type of stuff too, you know, banning, banning cell phones and stuff. And, and the whole priority of like what you should do for bills, like, you know, how about lock doors, right, during instructional time? Well, Kentucky does it. And they actually fund a marshal position. So the marshal comes out and says, you know, ch checks on randomly. There's consequence. I don't know I'm, what all of that is, right? But it's something where none of the other states have it. You look at uh, states where they've had uh, some sentinel school shootings, Colorado, you know, Connecticut, Texas. And the handbooks say staff should lock doors. It doesn't say staff must lock doors. So, you know. Again, like I would focus my energy more into that area than I would into being the cell phone police. So let's go over here to uh, the chat. Oh, we got a lot of stuff going, so thank you, thank you. But uh, Vanessa's saying, phones in math class allow me to show graphs, videos, et cetera, for beyond what I can draw. On. Yeah, so right, I think phones have become and can be used as an instructional tool. Um, so certainly. Um, and also like the platforms that could just be web-based in the past, like Moodle and stuff like that are now, you know, more compatible on a phone. Um, Bolo saying, is is it just a power play of older people taking out frustration on young people? That's a good question, Bolo. I, I, it's it is a good question. I don't know if it's strictly like a power play to try to retain control. I so like the legislator, it does seem like it, like that person clearly did not research this issue and clearly was not informed by school administrators and principals because they tell them don't do this, don't do this, don't put this out there. Um, but we do see a lot of school policies. When I go through with my students in fall, we do a lot of policy work. Like I'm a policy expert, right? You know, I have a PhD in education policy analysis. And, you know, we'll look at these things and say, you know, a lot of this stuff is like you're behind the times, right? You're trying to, especially like dress code stuff and whatever, like there are certain things that, that aren't caught up. So you're right. I think I think it's I think it's older. And the systems move slow. Board of Education they move slow, and they have turnover and stuff. So like you you get policies that usually trail by years. Um, but but yeah, and I, I do think it is people who are kind of Bolo. You're kind of I think you're right on it. It's like well, when I went to school, like you know we couldn't do this, or you know you had to do this or tune in. But it's a different society now, right? So you got to meet people, kids where they're at. And the fact is like. You know, if you're the district that bans cell phones, that that parent might say, well, my kid can just open and roll to the district next door where they don't ban cell phones and they use them as part of their learning, like they incorporate them. So, um, but yeah, I think you're part of it, of saying that as part of this, like, you know, is kind of old old people thinking, right? I guess I'm an old person, right? Yeah, I think part of that's it. I think you're right on. Um, students aren't typing at really young ages, uh, yeah. It's, 
Uh, that's a good thing. Like I don't, I don't type well. So what, because I never, you know, I, I took a typing class in, in high school as a regular typewriter. Right. And, uh, and I remember I was never very good at it, but like when I had to transcribe my interviews for um, the velocity of information, I did some of them, you know, and I'd listen and I'd slow people down. So it sounds like they're drunk, you know, like I'm going to the boat, whatever. I'm, you know, both of us that we interviewed, you know, I'm slowing everything down to like half speed because I'm trying to type it. And, uh, and, but I got to a point where like, and some of the stuff I had to send out to a professional transcription is because you're dealing with people who, you know, if you, if you quote them wrong, like they could lose a lot on their side. Right. And they could go after you and say, yeah, I didn't say that. So no, and this is, you know, professional transcriptions, but, um, but yeah, you're right. Like these skills are being taught and, um, think they own stock and sell. I knew somebody who sold these Vanessa and, and he said, yeah, you know, it was just a crazy, a crazy, but the money was out there, right? Like who, who in their right mind when you could buy, uh, you know, like individual pouches and a gun case. That was the thing I did with my, when I was a school administrator for my school buildings, for the nurses, I bought them all gun cabinets for the, for the medications. So versus like, you know, and you could go and you could buy a special medication cabinet and that would also have like a freezer or fridge component for, you know, stuff that had be refrigerated. And these things would be, you know, as, as you said, thousands of thousands, not tens of thousands of dollars. Right. And I'd be like, well, we'll just get, get a gun safe. Right. I mean, and we'll put, you know, some shelving in it that the shop will make or something like that. I mean, so it costs us very, I mean, 5% of what it would have cost to buy a retail unit. Um, you know, for that. So, so yeah. Uh, so let's go back here. So, uh, Jordan's saying Bolo's quick to draw. Now, Jordan, you're kind of new here. I think Bolo is the, is the Canadian equivalent to Burt Reynolds in the uh, movie, um, Smoking the Bandit. So yeah, if you've seen Smoking the Bandit and, uh, think of Burt Reynolds and think of the Trans Am, that's basically, um, Bolo. I, you have to move it forward to like the year 2022 and kind of make some adjustments. But that's what that is what Bolo is to the country of Canada, and that's kind of how he lives his life. He's like the uh, the Burt Reynolds, the Cannonball Run of uh, of Canada, and you have to have that. So another thing, if you ever get to Canada, right, and you are following somebody, which is unlikely. Well, it's probably likely because he's going to be ahead of you, right? He's going fast. And you see the license plate B O L O, Bolo. That's Bolo. They only issue it to Bolo. They don't even anything close to it, like a B and a zero. Like they won't issue that. It's just Bolo. Look for the Trans Am, and he's a good guy, great guy, actually great guy. But yeah, so so just so you know, like Bolo is is uh, yeah, it's really this this uh, quasi celebrity status he has here in in the chat. I mean, all of you are awesome. Um, so when he goes, you know, he's back in. And and uh, tooling around Canada, I mean, people like Bolo, uh, uh, you know, honking their horns, stuff like that, you know, semis. So it's pretty cool. Um, Vanessa's, uh, whoa, I did miss your question, Bacon. Can you repost it? I'm sorry. So or wait. Oh, is this the one? In that kid's defense, I trust your judgment on chicks dating profiles in these apps. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was, it was such, uh, I would say a tender, a unique moment, right? Cause the, the kid really, okay. Terrific kid, terrific kid. And, and just generally being like, 
I, and he's like, I trust you. Like, what, what do you think? I'm like, oh man, like I, I can't, I, I can't, I can't do this. Right. So you're going to have to ask, uh, you know, one of your family members or, you know, whatever, get the weekends. They would go back home. I'm not saying like you should ask one of your, one of your friends here. Cause I'm not, I'm not sure they would be fully trustworthy to, to, to send you down, down the right path. But, uh, but that was crazy. What I'll tell you though, the best, the best thing, not the best. Well, I should say there were so many great things about working at the school for applying. And I, I posted and I did a show on it, right? Like it was the best job I ever had. Best job I ever had. Um, but one of the coolest things would be like this time of year, the, you could, the, the kids. Um, so the school had these tandem bikes. So front back. And then they also had the bike, the side by side. Um, and, they were all donated by like truck and I think mostly by truck bikes here in Wisconsin. Like, so they had these like really, if you were to buy these bikes, it'd be, you know, thousands of dollars, but they were all these, these awesome bikes. And, um, you know, you didn't have a lot of kids at the school. You maybe had 70 kids, right? K-12. And you had a lot of staff and stuff like that. So there would be times if the weather was nice, you know, so like, let's say tomorrow, you know, at uh, one o'clock, it's 75 degrees and sunny out. Like, you literally might just assemble a group of 40 kids and, you know, plus staff and just go out bike riding for an hour. I mean, it was so cool. So, and I love bike riding and the community had, had people who would come in and, and volunteer out of bike clubs and stuff. But, you know, we usually had enough as a school and, and we'd be biking. And I usually biked with a boy who had autism, high school boy. And, uh, so he'd be on, on the back of the bike. I'd be on the front and, uh, and it was, it was just, it was the coolest thing, man. And we would, we would bike. Yeah. You know, you bike for like an hour and I'd be out there like dressed like I am now. I probably would. I, I usually would toss the sport coat off, but I would dress pants, a dress shirt and stuff like that. And I'll tell you like, that was the greatest thing ever. And then, um, I like, where else can you get to get to do that? But it, it was, it was phenomenal. Uh, it, I said, you know, the, one of the biggest gifts in, in my professional career was the, the ability to to do that job toward the end of my career, um, kind of when I had the uh, different administrative experience and, and to come into that and and uh, the kids and staff and the skills I learned is just really good. Um, Jordan saying a little contradictory, but as much as I believe in freedom, if there was an age limit for smoking, alcohol, such there should be a limit for children. So yeah, you know, I I think that's legit. So that would be something that would be covered if you. Again, I don't think a state bill is maybe the way to do it, but in a board of education policy, yeah, definitely. So I'm I'm with you on that. I think there needs to be something something in there. Um, here in Kentucky, Ron Wayne. Yeah, it's it's you know so when Kentucky did this, they had a lot of pushback, right? Uh, people were administrators were coming out and saying, you know, this, this principal is messing up our air conditioning in our buildings because like you know now we. You know, got the doors closed. The buildings are getting hot because the air is not circulating. And, and uh, you know, kindergarten kids have to use the bathrooms. The teacher has a lock and lock the door all the time. It's real pain. So, like, not compelling arguments, but, like, redundant. Like, people kept coming up with these. And uh, thankfully, the state of Kentucky, you know, stood their ground. They're like, well, you know, these are inconveniences, right? But, you know, it's not just for school intruders, you know, with weapons. It could be um, now, you know, a hostile... Um, 
you know, people coming into to buildings, you know, whether they're they're vagrants or whether it's a custodial issue where you're having a non-custodial parent try to come in or a relative come into a building and, or a sexual predator, you know, uh, there are so many reasons, probably more so now to keep your building secure and understand who's in your building. So, um, you know, Kentucky's really done a great job with this. And that's, I come back and I'm like, why, you know, why isn't anybody else getting on this? And I checked with the, uh, the, door, the people who, who oversee like the door hardware regulations and stuff like that in the country. And I'm like, is there any update on this? Like, uh, you know, anybody else from around the, so they'll send me the stuff and they're like, and they keep a really good pulse on this. And they're like, no, there's like, there's more stuff. I was saying, we recommend that you lock the doors, stuff like that, but not that we mandate it. So, so I don't know, like, that's where I'm giving the high five to Kentucky. Um, because like Kentucky just, they did it and they stuck with it. And I'm like, just where, you know, and board of boards could do this individually and they don't. And of course their lawyers are telling them, well, if you do this, like, how are you going to, you know, if somebody violates it two times, are you going to put them on leave? Are you going to make them read school of errors? The most honest book ever written about the $3 billion school safety industry. Misty, Mrs. Wayne, Jordan, you're thinking of getting it. Jordan, just do it. Put in your Amazon box right now and leave a review by the way. Or the philosophy of information. Why don't you get both? These are both really well-written books. This one has a lot of custom uh, figures, stuff like this. This is a really good book. It's up for the S.I. Hayakawa Award. I should know in a week if it receive it, which is the best book for semantics or word meaning. So I like this angle. Like I said, it's just a cell phone over there that I used to have. It's an old Samsung S8, and it's it's hooked to my Wi-Fi. And, and so I just have it, I have it logged in here as, like a, as someone participating in the chat. So I just... I, I picked up a tip online. So eventually that thing will zonk out because, man, the battery, you know, not good on that. And I don't have it plugged in. Uh, but it is, you get to see, like, the back of my office. Like, I love on the wall over here. So that original stuff, the safety doc, that goes back to when I first started the show. I don't know, you know, when did the show start? Like six, seven years ago. And so ISS 24-7, you know, does security communications for, like, a big sporting events like Super Bowl. 405 Media used to be on, and they don't even exist anymore. Sprigio was a company for reporting bullying. I don't do things with them anymore, but they're, they're still in existence. Very good company, Joe Per se. My, my book cover, I had that made um, from Walmart. And uh, and also School of Airs, and then like the, the book covers uh, for the audiobooks. And the audiobook covers are different because they don't own the copyrights to the published books. I had to get different images. I had the copyrights too, but, um, but yeah, I had those made and they, they cost, I don't know, 40 bucks each. It was really cheap. So, and they're thick, they're, you know, like three quarters of an inch thick and on a heavy, heavy, uh, foam board and stuff. So I've been really impressed. So it's just kind of a nice side of my office. This, and this side over here is Southwest and back me, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to change. Well, I'm going to, uh, to change things up and back me and my university degree is my bachelor and two masters over on the one side, but my PhD, I don't, I never displayed that still in the original mailer. And I want to do that. But I, if I get the S.I. Hayakawa award, like I want to put that kind of, you know, center that in the background. And so I don't want to do anything big here in the, in the background until I know if I got that award or not. So um, there will be changes coming to the background here. So this is actually the least exciting wall that I have behind me. So, um, yeah, let's, let's go back to, uh,
Let's go back to the chat. Um, Bolo's saying, hey, I'm just north of Toronto. So, Bolo. If you also think of The Dark Knight Rises with Heath Ledger um, and Batman, um, uh, Christian Bale played Batman, very similar to Bolo. And actually, like a lot of Bolo's life is very similar to The Dark Knight Rises. I think 2008 and Christian Bale, you could basically swap the two out. That's kind of how that it is. So he's really the Toronto Batman. Uh, so if you type that in, you might find it on DuckDuckGo, some searches. Otherwise, it kind of gets scrubbed out. But he's really known as the Toronto Batman. Bacon, for a while, was the Inglewood Batman. Um but, you know, right now, you know, there's, hey, it's the Toronto Batman. Oh, Bolo? Yeah, I mean, Bolo, right? So, so yeah, if you want to check out the movie The Dark Knight Rises, and just as you're watching Christian Bale, just know that you could just, you, you could just, like, flip a page, and, and that could be Bolo. Like, you could just change those two out real quickly, you know, that just, you know, uh, for what it's worth. Um. Vanessa's saying entry control is a prime method of controlling access to building safety and security. Absolutely. It's safety and security, right? So Vanessa, you know, states it like this is so critical to the security of your building of having locked doors and, and, and no identifying who's coming in and out of your building, but yet it's, it's not universally accepted, right? Kentucky's on board, but these other places aren't. And it really surprises me when I look at the handbooks of places where they've had sentinel school shootings and the next year the handbook still says you know should lock doors and even like the check-in procedures are kind of like you know a little fuzzy and you know could somebody open up a door for a parent or someone else and let them in and bypass like the front office and you know, like these things and you think oh my god like this would be completely like nailed down and very detailed and it, it isn't that way so that's where i was saying this this um safer community Holy smokes, I'm upside down. Um, oh, the phone just the phone just puked up. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we just we just lost we just lost a side view. Phone's gone. All right, so so what you got for the rest of the show here? Uh, doc, doc right here. So the, the phone went gone. Dun, 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 dun. Bye, bye, phone. So, all right, but this is still live, so we are still good here. So let's, uh, let's check what's going on here. That's that's kind of a cool thing, though. I could actually hook it up on a charger and make that work for a show. So just want to try it out. Um. So yeah, Vanessa's right on. So again, we go to school safety, right? And this is where if I were to write, um another book and, you know, do, do another PBS presentation. Like I would focus in on a couple different things and one would be locking doors. Like what is, what does that look like from policy? And like, why haven't we gone there? Why isn't the Overton window to pass a national bill? Like we saw the safer communities bill, which had a billion dollars for school safety in the form of like mental health, like, but it didn't have anything for saying like schools should lock doors or even, um, you know, like solid core doors would be funded for schools or stuff like that. I mean, none of this stuff wasn't in there. So it's, it's weird. Like, 
So why isn't that there when it seems so obvious, right? We've never had a school shooting where a shooter has successfully shot through a locked solid core door, which is basically a code door. We've had an instance where students shot through the glass part of a door and has gained entry, but not like a solid core door. So, but, um, or an intruder, let's say. So, you know, boom. But there are many other reasons we just talked about, right, to, to keep our building secure. And then the other part of the book or the presentation would focus on discretion because the more I get into this and I've done a lot of work in over my career is you, you learn it's discretion. People don't know or don't believe they have the ability to make the a decision and to allocate resources. And we got into it on this show with the case study I do with all of my students and administration, all aspiring administrators, new administrators. Hey, like a student with autism wanders from your school. It's in a rural setting. They go into a woods Neighbor comes over, you know, your secretary calls 911. Hey, this happened. Neighbor comes over a minute later and says, I have a drone. I can get the drone up and help you look for the student. Do you accept the drone? 50% of people, administrators say yes. 50% say no. Always, always splits that way. And uh, and so you go into the people and so you look at, why'd you say yes? Why'd you say no? Yes, you know, it's a tool, right? It's part of a rescue thing. Get it out there and, and uh, you know, we can get, it's, you know, it, it can increase our rescue chances and kind of down that line. Um, no, you know, well, you know, if we go over school property, they're violating the laws for using drones and we're giving them information about a student that we normally wouldn't give. And we haven't done a background check. We don't let volunteers on our school site without background check. Um, and, you know, so those type of things. So you see this like, you know, both ways. And, and really like it comes down to this thing called primacy. If somebody it's it'll, it's based off of someone's previous experience. Like if they were chewed out for taking initiative in whatever job they had before, you know, they'll carry that into their current position. So you have to overtly tell them, you know, something like this kind of happens. Like, you know, we expect you in this position to make the call and we'll have your back. Like use your discretion. If you thought in the moment it's laminated to time and, and context, whatever your decision is, we've got your back. And actually, I think there should be school policies on that. So I'm, I'm working with my students this fall, first time ever of saying, well, let's, what would a school policy look like if your board of education wrote a policy of saying, you know, we we believe that our staff have the discretion to activate an intruder alarm or a fire, any of our safety stuff, right? And, you know, that um, forensically, we will learn from that together and that you're not going to blame and shame people, right? I mean, you couldn't have that in a policy, but... Um, I've been kind of working out some wording. Nothing like that exists, by the way. But I I think there are a lot of people out there who are like, I don't know if I can use the, a the AED in the hallway. I don't know if I can use the fire extinguisher outside of my door. Like, I don't know, you know, will I get in trouble? Like, what is it? What is the threshold that has to be crossed for me to use this thing? So all of, the, all of that stuff comes in. So I think this whole thing on discretion of how do you measure discretion and how do you how do you know who has it and who doesn't? And um, it's going to surprise you. Like, who do you assume has discretion? But they really don't. Like, they if you ask them, they'd be like, "Oh God, I would never use the AED, right? Or I would never use the fire extinguisher." Um, so, yeah, um, Kentucky got the idea of locking doors from Joel. Is that is that true? Hey, Squamish. Bolo, Squamish has both of my books. The library in Squamish, British Columbia has both of my books. That is a fact. So, um, 
you know, I can I can monitor where the book is to some extent across the world. And uh, let me bring it up here. And that was one place I saw it because I'm like, oh, Squamish. And uh, which is, so let's do this. Let me, let me do a share screen here. All right. That is the, uh, that is a share screen for the a library search in Squamish uh, Public Library here, British Columbia. They have the velocity of information is book uh, 153 PR. And uh, they have School of Airs, 371.7820973. So thank you, Squamish. So Bolo, you could drive all the way to Squamish, go to the library, 71 hours, depending upon how fast or slow, get there and uh, check out these books. And, uh, you know, they'd be waiting for you right here. So it's pretty amazing. Thank you, Squamish. So it's cool. Like, I get to see all these, like, crazy places I never think the book would appear. And there it is. So um, Vanessa's saying, I, I must make my frames for my degrees and get them up on the wall. So the frame that's back there is pretty old. Like, I had all my stuff. And now that I have the my PhD isn't in there, but I... I would order the frame for the PhD from Madison and have it a little bit bigger and, uh, and kind of set it off. Um, like I said, I'm, I, it's kind of weird, but I'm waiting to see if I get this award or not, because if I do, it changes how I'm going to put things up in the back. And if I, if I don't, I don't, but, um, so yeah, that's kind of a, a little bit of a crazy, but the other, the plaque back there is professor of the year from 2022. That was March 5th that I received that. So, you know, it's likely that the 33 RPM record that's painted blue back there will will be relocated. Although, like, you know, it's, it doesn't look bad. Um, my oldest daughter did that, like, years ago as an art project. So um, Jordan is saying, hey, Bolo, I lived in Ottawa and Gatua, or Gatua, whatever, uh, a couple times, but missed the, the wide-open prairies, yeah. Uh, Vanessa say my shoe major retired there in... Uh, Toronto turned in the 2000 shoemaker. All right. The Batman of Inglewood. That is a uh, bacon Maldito, the Batman of Inglewood. So yes, he is the Batman. You know, who is the bat? I didn't write about this in philosophy information. I, I, I kind of regret that I didn't. Um, Chuck Mack, Charles Mack, the head of it at um, university of Pittsburgh met. So I wrote about always a part of my mem member check network. So like, you know, Chuck would check in and he'd say like, yeah, yeah. You know, we are getting our papers, so essential workers, stuff like that, you know, and and uh, it was during the pandemic, I wrote about it. And I, he stayed, he got a couch and a dorm fridge and he stayed at the at the hospital and just set people up with mobile devices and work on the network. Like I, he told me like he's, he worked like over a hundred hours a, a week during the pandemic there. And, uh, and I was going to, put his chapters like the Batman of or the Pittsburgh Batman, which I think would have been awesome. But you know, then you run into this weird stuff of like, if you use the Batman thing, like you kind of have to like register, you know, identify that it's a registered trademark and a book. And you know, so like the, uh, like it would have been cool, but the publishers like, yeah, you know, then there's, there's other stuff you got to kind of note if you do stuff like that. Something, like that. well, it wasn't worth it. But uh, if I had to do it again, I think though I would do it. I would spend the time and I would make Charles Mack the Pittsburgh Batman. 
Um, this is Vanessa saying, in Arlington, Texas, I had two school IDs to have access to the high school schools. We checked everyone entering and only one door. You know, so right, Vanessa, right? Like, so why don't we have this more universal? And also, why aren't school conferences focusing on these types of things? So, you know, those are the questions and, and the organizations that school staff, school principals and administrators pay thousands of dollars to be a part of. Like, why aren't they leading this stuff up and leading these discussions? And how do you do some policy? How do you, you know, we'll come out, we'll help you audit, set this up. And so it's really good. I mean, but again, why isn't, why isn't this part of the Safer Communities Bill? So, um, so this is Heath saying, hello, Bat Doc and all. Yeah. So the Batman is Bolo. He's, he's the Batman. We also have the, so we have the, the Toronto Batman and we have the Inglewood Batman. So, um, yeah, that is, uh, so that's good. So don't, uh, don't anybody go, but uh, we are going to do a brief intermission here, but don't take off. You guys, just let me get the stuff set up. Um, all right. So I will be back in a moment. Uh, thank you so much. And dun, dun, dun. whoa, wait a second. What? What? All right. I'll be uh, back in a moment. Enjoy this. Yo, yo.
Welcome back to the Safety Doc Podcast. Thanks to our good friend Swamp Dog Armory for making that intermission video for me. Appreciate that. Wanted to also share that a week from today, Graham Wilson will be on the show. And uh, I'm excited about that. Graham Wilson is an airline, um, well, he is a pilot and a, a flight uh, instructor in Canada, uh, Windsor, Canada. So he's going to be on the show. And uh, let me bring up that. Uh, so here is the uh, the show title. So yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, looking forward to to having Graham on on the show. I want to also share that I'm going to be a guest on Bacon Maldito's um, channel very soon. So uh, it'll happen this month. So Bacon and I have uh, still still out the details. Uh, basically, we just have to come up on a date. But um, and I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, Bacon um, had done a lot of work uh, in informing me of kind of the pandemic lingo of what was happening right in the, the old Chaz Pacific Northwest stuff as I was writing the velocity of information. And, uh, you know, I try to catch his shows Friday night, although, like, you know, it's 10 o'clock here by the time he goes live, man, and I am not 20 years old anymore. I remember one time I got up during the night and I couldn't sleep, and it was like 5 in the morning. You know, like, oh, my God, bacon's still going. But I'm very much looking forward to that. So um, just so you know, again, I will be a guest on Bacon Maldito's show here in September. So um, it is our good friend uh, Heath, the agorizer, is also here. So the agorizer. Hey, buddy. Appreciate you. Ron Wayne is tapping his foot. So, yeah, well, the, <laughs> the doc needs to have a three-minute break when we get to, get to this point in the show. So, Saltude Surfer is saying, great show, doc. Appreciate it. Jordan's doing a uh, smile with sunglasses. Uh, I prefer the endless number of lakes here. All that flatlands, not my forte. Uh, so, yeah, I can I can get that. So... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. So let's, uh, trying to, whoa, that's not what I, it's not what I wanted. Um, I don't know. The stuff's acting kind of goofy right here. So dun, 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 dun. All right. There. So I paid $44.99 for UCAM 10 which is a huge disappointment because it's basically just UCAM 9. Like, I don't, I honest to God, don't know what is different between these two programs. 
Um, so they kind of badged it that you could go in real time and do real time makeup because I always kind of seem washed out with the lighting and stuff. And I thought, well, that'd be kind of cool to be able to do that, but that is greatly um, oversold. <laughs> and if you do it like it, I see, you know, I start to have like blush and eyeliner and lipstick on. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm all right. So I'm, I'm okay. But uh, uh, so Vanessa is saying, you know, bacon usually, yeah, six oh six hundred six in the morning. Go go to Lowe's. So um, it's one it's one more than nine. So um, yeah, so you know, it's cool that um, the show's kind of gotten back into its regular Monday night swing, and you know, I'm I'm glad to have guests lined up. So I have a I actually have um, maybe like five shows already on deck. And so, of course, next week is Graham. And it's going to be fascinating, too, because like, so Graham and I, you know, we had a couple of phone calls, like Skype, you know, or like a streamer type call, just hash stuff out. And uh, and so one of the questions too is like, what's the biggest, what's the reason most, you know, small pilots like end up crashing, right? And so he's like, here's, and it's not kind of what you think. And like, what's the reason, what's the subtle thing that like, you know, happens? It's not like ego or something like that, something else. And and uh, so he has all these amazing kind of stories to to share, and I so I, it's just it's going to be fun because I I just think we have a similar sense of of both professionalism and humor, and uh, I'm really looking forward to that show. So um, by by the eleven, yeah, I don't think there is a UCAM eleven out there yet. So um, my Camtasia nine could maybe use upgrading. Although I don't, I don't use it a lot, but. Uh, but yeah, I, I was like, holy, you know, because that was the one thing. And, but, you know, I'm using it. So it's right now. I have the option to run it or, or not, but, um, but I am running it. So yeah, I hit that subscribe, you know, and post down below in the comments. That always helps subscribe to the channel. We're over 1,200 subs now, which is big. First time the channel's been there. So, and uh, just, I'm not going to run the commercials, but, this is 20 bucks and the audiobook is less than that school of airs is a really really good book if you have any relatives anybody who's in education or having their kids um you know um in the school system man this is a really important book um so plus you know again the audiobook that i narrated is it ranges from like seven dollars and up depending on where you where you get it like i don't have much control i have some control over that right but um but yeah, you the audiobook is very, very good. And then of course, da, 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 the velocity of information. This is really the thinker's book. I mean, uh, you know, right away I get into this essential versus non-essential. Like every one of us woke up one day in 2020, and and the fact is that um that changes things forever. Like, what kind of career are you gonna have? You know, it's ability to work. And I I interviewed a realtor, and that's in here, a realtor in a big city, and she said, you know what, people like don't don't want if they had like a you know nice place in a high rise, like they don't they don't want to live there anymore because if there are new pandemic restrictions, the high rises only one person could be in an elevator at a time. So they might come back with their groceries from whatever, and they're used to getting an elevator, get right up to the fourth floor, and they can't do that any you know during a pandemic. They had to wait, and uh, people are like you know I'm not dealing with this. So you know all of those things kind of kind of come into play. It's a fascinating book is it's it's a fascinating book you will not be let down at all 
And as I said, I'm excited about the audiobook to be out there too. If you've read it, I know some of you have. Vanessa, um, please post a review. We have 20 reviews on Amazon, and and this is kind of the week when it gets considered for the uh, SI Hayakawa Awards. So, uh, yeah, you cam, you can do it. That's agorizer. So, I, you know, I don't know. You cam's okay. I mean, this novelty stuff. It depends what I'm doing, right? If I'm just like you know, kind of doing some goofy stuff, then you know, this is what in the hell? I don't want that. Yikes. Uh, you know, that's kind of interesting, I guess, right? So, um, but yeah, and it used to have like this whole avatar section and stuff like that, but uh, it's not really worth it anymore. Camtage, on the other hand, is really cool software. If you're not good into like engineering and cutting soft videos and stuff together, Camtasia is really good for that. Um, so I have, I have Camtasia 8 and 9, and, and there's a newer version but uh, I don't do enough like post edit software. I do in my classes that I teach. I do like very short instructional videos, but like everything I, I can handle that in Camtasia 9. Um, Jordan's saying a lot of lakes uh, north of in SK. What is, what is SK by the way? South Korea? Where are where are you, Jordan? Like I I assume you're in Canada, but uh, I don't know. Um, I've been so blessed to have the chance to visit uh, Line Lake and the Jasper a few times. Just gorgeous. So, yeah. So, and Safety Dog lives in Wisconsin. So, I, you know, Lake Michigan on one side and Superior on the other. And some are, you know, usually try to get up to Superior. We also go to Lakeshore, Lake Michigan. So, um, Spambot is saying, Bolo, I'm originally from Ontario. I prefer the foothills in Alberta over the Mizuto laden lakes of humid southern Ontario. So, yeah. Uh, cool. Heath uh, is saying, I bet Rich can answer that question better than anyone. Probably. Um, Agorizer, Looney Tunes um, taught me that it's gremlins. Wow. Bolo, I hear you spam about uh, fodder. My hamster wheel is turning. So, wow. This is from uh, Jordan to me, the safety doc. You had some real good questions uh, for Graham in the comments. I was like, dang, I need to do better. <laughs> I agree about the humor part. Also, the audiobook would be excellent. Good voice for it. So, uh, thanks. So, I, I narrated um, I narrated School of Errors, so that's out there. And the only way this book could ever be released in audio, it was really a quirky thing because both my books were written under contract with uh, publisher Roman and Littlefield, which is a, a great thing, right? To have a book under contract because then your book gets out in a lot of places and this book has high saturation around the globe, as does philosophy of information. Um, but I'd never had the audiobook in this contract back in 2019. So the only way the publisher would allow the book to come out in audio is if I narrated it. It couldn't be anybody else narrating it. It had to be me. And uh, so I was like, all right, I guess yeah, that's the way it's got to be. It's got to be. So I, I worked with a local uh, sound studio, like literally two miles from my house. And, and we recorded it between March and May. And, you know, there's like a show I should do on that sometime because like I, I had to get in contact with people who do audiobooks and say, like, how do you keep your voice from not like just going blank after two hours and you learn all these tricks like here's a tea to drink like you know use lip balm and 
these strategies and stuff. So I mean, so I did that, and uh, you know, all the of the the editing, the uh, the sound engineer who's listening at the same time and saying, "Oh, like, could you do that sentence over or whatever?" But so so this book is six hours long, narrated by me. It a, so that that's out there. You can buy that. Just go in and search this on audiobooks. Really well done. Now, velocity of information is um, was narrated by uh, Ben Hawk, who is in the TV show Manifest, for example. He's a professional actor. Uh, ben did a phenomenal job on the velocity of information on the audiobook. Um, but that will not be available for sale until April 12th. By contract, has to be one year after the release of the book in print, which was April 11th. So, um, but it's all done. Like, everything's great. I actually like have access to the whole audio book, but I, but it will not be for sale until April 12th. You'll probably start seeing it in a couple of months. It'll start to show up on our like safety doc or my book stuff as like a pre-order, but it's not, but it's well worth it. Oh my God. Like I did a good job with school of errors and school of errors is priced lower as an audio book because I'm not a professional voice actor, but Ben is like, Ben is so good. So velocity of information is just, incredible to listen when you have a professional actor right who is narrating um and wow so yeah that is that's amazing and you know one of the reasons i came back on this book and did the audiobook was when it when it's all said and done like the audiobook will probably not make me a, a dollar like it'll probably just be a break even but um it was for accessibility. You know, I teach um, special education legal classes and I worked for a school for the blind and school for the blind, the whole thing of like, oh, like we have a book available and you can have like the, the text reader read it. Like that doesn't really work, like only to a certain extent. It's you really want the book read by a narrator. So I had, I had many friends still have, you know, many friends at school for the blind and they were like, you know, when's a book coming out in, in audio? And I was like, yeah, I really need to do that. And so I made the commitment. We got it out in audio. And then I sent the links to, you know, some some free links to some of my friends who are down there who are completely blind, you know, who are instructors. And, and I'm like, here it is. And they're like, you know, thanks. It's really cool. And I said, yeah, it's important for me, right, to have my information available to people um, who are blind or have barriers to print or whatever and, and stuff like that to have it available in all these formats, ebook and audio and so yeah, that's where I was like a doc, you know, kind of, you know, just being a good guy, like just doing the, doing the right thing or like, right. But, uh, so, but yeah, I mean, if you've read either of the books, you have not posted a review, please, please, please consider it because reviews are significant in driving sales and it just is, and it's, it's powerful, you know, libraries and people, you know, libraries purchasing, right. I guess it's sales, but, um, Reviews are big, and and reviews have kept the momentum going for for school of errors. School of errors gets cited in my Google Scholar. I can see like people who cite that work and dissertations and other stuff, and um, you know, velocity of information. So, what you do, you know, you've read it. Um, it means, or you've you know, somehow you, you you've consumed um, you know that work. It means a lot to me when you post a review. It really does. Um, so. So yeah, I, I you know I went, Jordan went back to some of the videos that Graham posted of the the cartoonish stuff back in 2010. I used to use that same program, but I never like posted it on YouTube. But I remember that how funny that was. I used to use it in some of the trainings and professional development I did, which makes me think I need to subscribe back into that because it's just hilarious. Um, 
So Saskatchewan, okay, so the SK. North of ND, North Dakota, okay. North Dakota, gotcha. Um, Heath is saying, I just found out you can put a pencil in an Ender 3, which is a 3D printer, and have it draw artwork. That's cool. That's cool. And I'm going to have another show where I bring um, Flying Rich. So those of you who remember a good friend, Flying Rich, on the, the channel, we talked about, like, hey, like, what is 3D printing? What's the possibilities during a disaster, right? Or a wildfires, you know, tore down a whole neighborhood or something. If you could drop a 3D printer in there, um, what would be the things you'd print? And, you know, there's a lot of things people don't think about, but one is like catheters for, for medical, like, you know, printing catheters and printing like, you know, support stuff for geodesic domes. And so like Rich and I are kind of working on this. And that's like another part I would have in a book. I don't know how I'd work that into like a, a book or if I'll just do an article on it or something like that. But I think we underestimate like the capacity for 3D printing to be beneficial during disasters like it's not it's not really out there like um it's not organized i should say you know like thing averse and stuff like that but like kind of a disaster theme um so it's our good friend pokes of bob hey buddy welcome 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 guys drop a like on chaos stream so what is what is chaos stream let me let me check this out I'm I'm putting a like over here for you. I'm subbing. I just subbed and I just hit a like. So hopefully chaos will do the same back for me. I just hit a sub and a like there. So Doc is helping you out, buddy. Um, sub and like. Uh, all right, good. Ron Wayne, Rich Squadron. Dun, da, 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 da. 3D print another 3D printer. Crazy, isn't it? So. So, yeah, and, and this is something where um, it was kind of last year, and I kind of backed off of it this year. Like 3D printing, like schools have 3D printers. Like every middle school shop, every high school shop has multiple 3D printers. What does it look like for, like, copyright? How do you check that things you're printing have been copyrighted, right, or trademarked and stuff? More, more copyrighted. And, you know, what if you're – this whole thing, the case act with copyright and 3d printing, it's just, it's whatever you're doing. Um, so we kind of got into that in my classes. I kind of backed off of it a little bit cause no one was really enforcing it too much, but like, how do you, how do you make sure if your student is printing something and selling it right. Um, or making it available that there it's not very, very close to something that's copyrighted. And I don't know what item they're printing, but you know, uh, you know, a flute or whatever it is. <laughs> I don't know, a toy or something like that. Or, but you can do a lot of things 3D printed. Um, so, yeah. Website idea, disaster 3D. Yeah, let's see if that's, is that available here on a uh, website domain? In my area, um, website domain names available. Search. Holy smokes, it's got to be the worst damn interface I've ever seen. Squarespace. That's horrible. Let's go over here. Um, disaster. Jeez. Disaster. 3D. Let's check it out. All right. I'm going to make you part of the action here. Get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. All right, let's do this. 
All right. Hey, it's available. Disaster3D.com is available. Oh, my God. Bolo. And, uh, guys, I mean, that Heath, that's available. Uh, that is actually a very marketable site, Disaster3D. Whoa. Um, yeah, I mean, if I had any skills in 3D print, I don't own a 3D printer or anything like that, I would get the site and I would solely make, um, you know, threads and content that would, would focus on how 3D printers uh, can be deployed during disaster situations, hurricanes, fires, power out, you know, power outage, right? The 3D printer, though, has power, whatever. I mean, all of these things, like disaster 3D. And uh, I think that'd be awesome. I mean, holy smokes. It's also available in org and tech and stuff. I mean, it's all these things. Like, that is amazing that nobody has grabbed that. Holy smokes. That's really good. Like, I, I don't know. You know, um, everybody would remember it, right? I mean, if you put it out there and brand it, does that, hey, what's your website? Disaster3D.com. Okay, got it. Like, nobody would mess that up. Nobody would mess that up. And, yeah, you could do it and feature, like, articles, like, interviews, like, you'd have podcasts on it and maybe products, right? Um, I don't know about products so much. Well, I mean, you could have printer products, right, of saying portability and stuff like that. Uh, you could branch that off into, you know, um, legislation that allows um, sharing of, of intellectual property during disaster situations. And, like, I don't know where you monetize and where, where the money side of that comes in unless you really had a 3D sponsor, a 3D printer a sponsor to come in. But that is really cool. That is, I mean, guys, like, that is honestly, that domain is hot. Like that is, uh, that's one of those things, right? You get in a TV interview or whatever, and they're like, well, what is it? It's, well, you just go to disaster3d.com. Um, it's kind of interesting too. Like there's not like disaster3d.gov of saying like during this disaster area, like, you know, because they did this during COVID, like with the parts for ventilators and masks, they waived the intellectual property protections during a certain period of time and let you print those without fear of being sued. Um that they, they wouldn't have something like that, that you wouldn't go and say, oh, it's my area in whatever Kentucky, right? They got hit by F5 tornado. Is our area open now? Disaster3d.com to print whatever things. It makes a lot of sense, 3d.gov, but holy smokes. I don't know. I got to think about this overnight, but that is um, that is absolutely amazing. Um, I, you know, congratulations. Look at this. I, I'm, I'm, I'm frank. I'm stunned that that is available. Disaster3d.com. Wow. Wow. Um, that is, it's, I, I'm just floored. I am absolutely floored that no one is as squatted that site. I'm just floored. I mean, actually, I mean, just squatting that site for, you know, whatever it costs, 15, 20 bucks to, to own it for a year. Um, it's, you know, like someone wouldn't say, I'd give you a thousand dollars for that site. I mean, it just is crazy. 
I mean, I would actually, I mean, like as a drone manufacturer, like you pitch this idea to a drone manufacturer, right? And you say like, there's this whole side of like, you know, the 3D printing during disasters and you could get into this or you could have this off link. And I think they would go for it. Um, it's, it is catchy. Like, yeah, I'd have to think, you know, the thing is like, again, I don't know 3D printing very well. Like that's not my area. I'm not like DLD after dark or flying rich or those guys. Yeah. Talk to rich. I, I will talk to rich. Because maybe, you know, in all of the stuff that I do, maybe there is like a little offshoot in like 3D printing capability. I kind of talked about it in philosophy of information where I got into, I got into that. But, um, but I think like in the whole safety community, I think there's a lot of, a lot of things that will be available through 3D printing. Um which are going to probably be more like in the moment things that you need. Again, I go back to the catheters because I remember um, when the Bahamas got hit by the hurricanes and they couldn't fly in the big planes because the runway was destroyed. The little planes could come in. They had to break down cargo pallets and they prioritized getting catheters because people didn't have those. But you could 3D print catheters if you had a 3D printer, right? So, God, that is good. That is disaster3d.com so man that's really good <laughs> I'd probably have to re redo the uh, blog post to me for this drone deployed yeah you're right Bolo right so that was a big thing when I had Katie Bashan on from Cajun Navy Relief a couple of years ago with Hurricanes Irma and Harvey like maybe five years ago you know using drones in, in rescues and stuff was real kind of sketchy back then because of legislation right you know you you don't have jurisdiction to use a commercial drone in these areas. And now that's, it's kind of relaxed for rescues. Um, but you're right. Like what, how do you pair a drone and a 3d printer or also how do you maybe use a 3d printer, but then use the drone to disperse the items printed by the 3d printer, like, which are all awesome, super great ideas, right? These are the type of things where I want to bring people on the show and talk about that. How do you get Graham, you know, Wilson to take his plane um, where he can land in, you know, areas that haven't, um, uh, you know, again, in the Bahamas, you could take a small plane. How do you, where you can have more access or maybe be able to drop stuff off? How, what, what type of things would you do? Or, you know, or if he like takes a drone so far and then the drone gets deployed, hypothetically, he lands a plane, drone get, gets deployed, and then the drone can, I mean, there's all these things, right? Which are really exciting. Like, it's a cool part of safety. Um, that we don't think about that much. And, uh, and I, I think that is, that's really, that's really cool. So I'm glad that we went there. Cause I wasn't, I wasn't thinking there, by the way, please subscribe, smash that like button. I appreciate it. Please do watch hours below. Um, you know, we are like 700 and some hours away from monetization. We're quickly kind of moving there. Like everything is moving in the right direction. So you're like, Hey, I like this show or like next week, you know, I got grandma and like, I want to re-listen to it. Like when I'm out side doing something in the garage or like you know working in my basement or doing something on a computer do it so um so yeah very much appreciate it so let's go back to comments um <laughs> so yeah it's probably already been bought you guys have gone through and you've i'll go in tomorrow and like the only thing available will be like uh disaster 3d you know dot uh, taiwan or something like that. I mean, everything else be gone. So, <laughs> but I'm, 
it's it's florida isn't it crazy like you know we're all this way into like you know all the people buying domain names and stuff like that and whatever you kind of wonder what's going to be available like in 20 years but um but then 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 you come up with yeah you know like disaster 3d and we're like oh my god it's available you know for like 15 dollars or something right and you know you run it by a focus group and marketing and whatever and if you like say disaster 3d like nobody would ever forget that um you know, you nobody would mess that up. So, the idea muscle, Jordan, James Altiger, and Kira. So, uh, the safety doc. Really? Oh, wow! I thought I owned the safety doc. Oh, safetydoc.com. So I think do I own the safety doc or safety doc? I don't know. I had a uh, a bit of a. I wouldn't say it was a dispute, but when I initially registered that and started to go as a safety doc there was someone else who had a similar website and and was doing some similar things who contacted me and said you know just so you know like i exist in the space and and it was all good like we had a good discourse but they were more and they were where they were industrial safety you know like buildings and engineering and stuff like that and i'm like well you know we're totally different areas of safety so and if I ever get contacted, you know, someone looking for your stuff, I will refer them over. And I think I have like a referencing on my website, but that hasn't happened, you know, so we, everything's been fine. But, uh, but I, yeah, I was like, well, you know, if this really genuinely would have been an issue, I would have changed it. You know, you would have had, I would have said, yeah, you know, you stake your claim to this area. So I have to run. It's been great. Glad I found your channel until next one. Thanks, Ron. Thanks for subscribing. And next Monday on Monday night, it'll be at seven, a little bit earlier. Um, Graham Wilson's going to be on. God, it's going to be a good show. So we're going to have a good time, a lot of humor in that one. I have some stuff already kind of developed for that, which is so funny. I wish I could like just play it now, but I'm going to wait till the wait till the show. So it uh, looks like Jordan is also hitting the hills. Um, so yeah, it's kind of getting later. Safety 3D. So yeah, I don't know if Safety 3D is available. I'll have to to look. I don't. I own um, SchoolofAirs.com and VelocityInformation.com. Which um, I, they just steer, they're just bounce websites to to go to like Amazon stuff like that. Me, oh my God, everybody's leaving. Me too. I gotta go to bed. Gotta get it early for. I got it. Appreciate that. Thanks, uh, Misty, Mrs. Wayne. So, um, yeah, and I'll probably will move the shows back to like their eight or eight fifteen time. I mean, versus eight thirty. And next week is seven. Um, so you know, might do that. But um, right, because if you're in like California, seven o'clock is your five o'clock and. So that's where the show I've been trying to balance it out. But uh, um, Jordan's saying, no, nah, I'm here for a bit. Jordan's like, he's like, I, I am there. I am uh, I am totally like hanging hanging with this. I appreciate that. So um, good. That's good, buddy. So yeah, that is that is all good. So my, uh, I was mowing my lawn yesterday and, you know, out in the back and I noticed a couple rocks, landscape rocks. I'm like, well, this is weird because there's really no reason for landscape rock. I have landscape rock around my house, but there's no reason to be landscape rock like 30 feet from my house. And I stop and I'm like, oh, there's more. And I picked up 30 landscape rocks, you know, which are which are pretty big, you know. And and uh, I and then I check my neighbor's yard. They had rocks, and they have, their son throws these rocks from their third landscaping out into like the backyard and stuff. And I'm like, so, so I told the guy, you know, I'm like, 
hey, I've been finding these rocks, you know, and, and you know, they're not for me. And, of course, a more hits them, damages a blade, and then also can send it out, you know, in any direction. And, and uh, but, yeah, I spent, I spent like 20 minutes just picking these rocks up, and I'm like, oh, my God. And he's, the kid's done that, like, a lot of times. Like, this isn't a new thing. It's, you know, he's throwing these rocks several, you know, days. Uh, or that's it's just over the years, like, we have steel siding and it's dented up on that side. And I've had to go tell him about it. And so I'm getting a little frustrated because at some point that needs to, to just resolve. It's like, don't do this kid. You know, don't, don't be doing that stuff. So, uh, yeah. So, um, what else is happening for me this, this week? So, um, I am, I'm starting now my, my kind of really fast paced teaching stuff. So I go to the university, right. Which is a couple hours for me and I'm there all day. And, um, so between now and like the middle of November is pretty crazy. So, but that's good, you know, and I'm not driving every day to the university. Um, and I get mileage and stuff like that. And, and actually I only, I only put like, 4,000 miles a year on my car. And most of that's going to the university. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, I have my, my classes and, and getting those all ready. So it's really this weird kind of end to summer because I, you know, a long distance cyclist. So a couple of weeks ago, I biked 80 miles last week. I biked 40 and this week on Wednesday, that's my date. I've blocked off for biking because it should be like 80 and sunny. And like where I'm at here in Wisconsin, like you get 80 and sunny in September, like you got to go for it because I usually will deep six the bike by the middle of October. You know, the leaves are falling, the weather's just not good. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm just not one of these people who's going to be out when it's 50 degrees and overcast and windy and biking, not my, not my thing. And you know, is people around here buy bikes that they do in winter with the fat tires and stuff. I'm like, it's not my thing, right? I just don't, I don't want to be out in the cold biking. It's not enjoyable for me. So, um, I will be out on Wednesday. Like I've already planned, I've already planned for that. Like I went today, it bought green bananas. And, uh, because one thing I always do before, like a distance, long distance biking is I'll eat a lot of bananas the night before the morning of and pack bananas, you know, as I, as I do the trek. So I will, um, I'll be preparing Tuesday for that and get, I'll, kind of get the bike all ready for it. And then Wednesday I'll be out biking all day. Um, so that'll be awesome. But that, you know, I'm kind of looking like, I don't know how many more bike rides there are yet for this year for me. That, I mean, that could be, that could be the last one um, because of other things kind of going on. And, you know, if the weather like cools down and, and stuff like that. So we know we've, we've hit like, a, I think we had like 26 out of 31 days or whatever in August where like sunny and 80 degrees is really cool. I mean, really awesome. I biked a lot, but, um, I don't know. So it's kind of this, this, I am not a winter person. So to live in a Northern climate, um, so I live in Wisconsin, you know, is that, and I live in Southern Wisconsin. I used to grow up, I grew up in Northern Wisconsin, but I am not a winter person. So when we get to November, November through March is just the kind of time where like I bury myself into other projects, you know, doing university work and stuff like that. But I do not, I am not one of those people who loves like being outside. Hey, like I can ice fish and I can, you know, snowshoe. I'm like, I'm not me, man. Um, 
So I, I do kind of force myself to go out and, you know, walk. And I got like earbuds my daughter gave me that she used to have so I could listen to, you know, stuff, Wi Fi off my phone. And, um, but man, just not there. So, man, I also had this, this eBay bid. I was, uh, I was bidding for a pair of, uh, of keen work shoes and these things looked like in, in great shape and they're a little bit older style of keen and uh i bid all the way up to 32 dollars, and i didn't get them they sold for 30 39 so uh but you know the new ones are like you know all these shoes are expensive and then uh, you see these people on like ebay they'll post like a pair of shoes like and you can get the same thing retail you know here's a pair of like keen uh, voyagers for like 120 dollars. i'm like i can get the same thing from zappos for 108 new but uh, but yeah that that uh, that was pretty disappointing because um, I thought my I thought my bid would hold up as an iffy thing like buying shoes but I'm like you know they're shoes I use in my yard my current ones are in such horrible shape I mean soles are falling off and all of that but I'm like I'm not I don't want to put a lot of money into a pair of shoes that I'm just gonna wear out in the yard but we'll see um, but yeah I mean I don't know I don't have much I, I don't have much going. Uh, this week, I just got to kind of prep the class stuff and, and then, you know, really be, be ready for, I have a, uh, so I'm not a lawyer. So when I teach law classes, um, I always have lawyers that I consult with and I need to get back with one of my friends who's a lawyer. And, and, uh, I'm also, I'm working on a future show here and I want to have somebody on who has, um, a lawyer and there's a lawyer in my state who did a presentation on citizens arrest. In Wisconsin, right? And he actually said, like, Wisconsin law is pretty friendly toward a citizen arrest. <laughs> and and so I want to get a hold of this guy and say, like, hey, would you come on the show and we can talk about what a citizen's arrest is? Because, like, uh, it came up when I was doing my, God, when I was doing the case study about um, the wandering student and going on the private property. Like, you know, what if somebody comes out and says, you know, you can't be on here and I declare citizen's arrest. I'm like, well, God, I never saw that coming in when I did that case study, like someone would do that. But, but I'm like, what is, what does it even look like? And, and I realized that the laws are pretty lax, um, for citizens arrest. Um, but right. You don't see a lot of people trying to pull that one off, but I would love to have a lawyer on here. Like I had James Sibley talk about some special education stuff, but I have a lawyer come on and, and say, yeah, here's some, here's some citizens arrest stuff. Below saying, Hey, my winter guilty pleasure is, uh, is camping in a place where they have RV plugins and plug in my heaters. You know, I think that'd be cool. Like, I do think that would be, uh, that would be, that would be neat to do. And we have a, th a screened in porch, um, that I've often wondered, like, you know, when it's, I don't know necessarily winter, but maybe like, you know, November, March ish, like if I had my sleeping bag and I was out there, like, I think I would enjoy that. Like I like colder temperatures, especially like for sleeping. Right? I just I, I, and I we had a cot and we sold it and it was really nice. We bought it new. We just kind of bought it for our cats and I, I wish I would have kept it, and um, and you know kept it so I could put it out there. We sold it really cheap for like five or ten dollars a grad sale. So Jordan's saying citizen arrest needs more and more. So, um, yeah, be, yeah. Um, I'm trying to get someone on who can, who's willing to talk about that on the show. And I think it's pretty cool. But thing in Canada, it's called public detainment. So 
you know, when I was growing up, that was a pretty familiar term, like citizen's arrest. I never knew anyone who did it, but it was, but, but looking into it now, I'm like, you know, how, how would you do it? And again, like this guy was saying, it's still in the books. It's like part of the law and it's, you know, pretty wide bumpers on both sides of how you would actually deploy it. But, uh, citizens arrest Andrew is going to be the only form of arrest soon. I don't, did you guys, anyone happen to see, um, in Los Angeles, there was a fire truck, um, going on scene for some emergency. And there was just this mob of people that overtook the fire truck. And they're like, so there's like, you know, 15 people hanging off this fire truck and being in its way and taking stuff off of it. And that's the truck didn't get apparently damaged or like anything like that. But, but I was watching that saying, holy smokes, like for public safety, that was wild. And that you wouldn't have police escorting fire. And it was just, it was, it was really disturbing video. I don't know. I saw that in the I saw that today. Um, Keith is saying, oh my God, there are a lot of sites that, that do 3D disaster modeling and apps, but none have the domain. Well, don't buy it from me. Give me 12 hours head start to try to nail that thing down. Um, 3D disaster. Well, let's just do that. Well, printing. Yeah, there's 8,500 sites that came up. 3D printed disaster sculpture. Yeah. Um, this is crazy. There's somebody on TikTok, 3D.disaster, but right, 3Ddisaster.com isn't out there. What in the world? Oh, I had a really good, had a phone call this week with the head of esports in our state. And because, again, you know, I'm teaching aspiring administrators and more schools are going to esports and so I'm like, what is this all about? And it was great. It was a really good interview. I took a lot of notes and I'm going to have him on the show soon, Mike Dahl. And he's going to talk about, you know, here's how we start up these teams, how they compete. And, um, and I, I was just, just amazed, right. At, at how, and, and also a question I specifically asked is, you know, let's see you had a, a student with mild cerebral palsy, right. And they're competing in esports. How would that work? He's like, well, let me first tell you, like, we have a student participating in esports who is a paraplegic and has a a controller that they operate from their mouth, like a mouth-based controller. So he's like, let me just start with that. I'm like, holy smokes, right? Um, but he said, there there are companies, and one is in like Milwaukee, Wisconsin, but there's other companies, and this is where 3D printing kind of comes in too, but where they make special controllers for students with disabilities. So, and to play esports, I'm like, that is really cool, right? Adaptive. And so, and actually, if you just in your school took your school's 3D printing department, right, in your tech ed, they could probably do a lot of this stuff. They could make these adaptive parts for, for things. So I think that's really cool. Like, I want them to talk about that because, right, if you're, if you're in a wheelchair, you're not playing high school football. I mean, it's, it's technically not allowed to have a, to have that right so but you could be playing in these other sports and but what if you need it like an adaptive controller well we've got the handle and i just think it's really cool um yeah michael do a great job of helping us understand that so um yeah so i've been trying to line up some interviews um so and mike agreed to it so i'll get him him on here really busy guy but we'll get it done um so what is, what is this one uh three printing there are steps 
Um, Spambot. Bolo, I love winter camping. I didn't that Ontario, the temps outside Manhattan, minus 33. Wow. So I really like um I like I I like sleeping in winter. I like cold weather sleeping. And like where the way that our house is, we have a ranch, we heat with wood, but the the house is warmer on the side that's opposite the bedrooms. So, you know, and and that is very good because I I don't want to try to go to sleep, you know, when like the one side of the house is 80 degrees and the other side is like 60. <laughs> like I want to be in the 60 degree side. That's kind of by design, you know, that that happens. So, um, but yeah, I, man, no, 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 says Andrew. They were cheering for the truck. Oh, is that what was happening in that? Um, that's really scary. You know, as a f- former firefighter and like, I remember, you know, two years ago in Kenosha, the riots, right. And I have all the, the audio from the scanner app stuff. You know, I recorded that night and was listening and, and I think doing a live broadcast on it with bacon and Nick Schulander, but the fire department was clearly overwhelmed. Like they'd say, you know, people are cutting up our hoses or running over stuff. They're like, you know, following our equipment and they're like no police available to help them. And Holy smokes. Um, pretty, pretty crazy. And the thing is like, you take a fire truck out, right? That's easily a half million dollars or more. A ladder truck is 1.5 million, you know? So you, you do any type of damage to these things and take them out of commission. That is serious impact to the safety of the community. You know, you burn up a squad car, right? Or a squad car gets damaged. That's one thing you can kind of switch those in and out like a fire truck's like a two year build. So, um, Bolo, I don't fear the cold 40 here. Wow. We, we had here, oh God, maybe like eight years ago, we had a stretch of like minus 30 degrees every day for like 10 days. That would be like the high, be minus 30 to minus 40. And the city water department said, sent out a thing and said, just leave your water running because like all the water mains are freezing up and people's pipes are freezing up and they're like, just leave, we won't charge you. <laughs> we'll just average out like what you usually use for, you know, February and we'll just charge you that. And, and so, yeah, you just kind of, you turned your water on a little bit and you just let it run. Um, so that was really weird. I had, and then I had a friend down here who said like, he worked for the power and light company. He said they couldn't even drill, um, what was it? Like telephone poles, like the bits would break and all of that. So, because everything was, it was really like that hasn't been that way again for like this, like eight years ago, it was like that super deep freeze, but actually it was, it killed off like all of the beetles and the crazy bugs and stuff that normally would come out. Like we haven't had the Asian beetles since then. Like it just totally, that ended the Asian beetles coming out in July and stripping your trees bare of leaves that took care of that. Um, Breaking fire trucks is, is stupid. Yeah, I mean, that is just so, so, you know, it's, it's such a eerie um, breakdown of society to watch that type of thing, right? To have people jumping onto these fire trucks and grabbing things and whatever. And, and it's like, you know, there are certain things that should never be crossed, right? Like, I, I think I even remember, I don't know, it was back in China or, whatever these protests, right, where people would block off streets. But, like, if there had to be an ambulance or a fire truck, like, even the protesters would move aside, let the fire truck or ambulance through, and then they would, like, reassemble or protest. And the 
and both sides would recognize that. Like the pro, the police, the protesters would be like, well, there's a fire down there and the fire truck's got to get through. So like, well, let's call a truce here for three minutes and let fire trucks do everyone resume their positions. Um, so that is, it is, that to me is really scary. Um, I, because then as a city and as a fire department, I mean, do you, do you just say like, we will not go there unless we have police escort, but even if police go with you, um, at what point, you know, do you say we can't safely deploy to this part of Los Angeles, right? For our firefighters and for our equipment because equipment gets taken out. So, um, man, it is, I, it is really crazy. Um, so Jordan is saying uh, they just built a new fire station a block away, but the closest uh, detachment is 30 minutes away. Whoa, man, that's crazy. So I don't know if you guys, uh, I, I did the one show. It was about a month ago. Our fire department received a new pumper, $700,000 truck, um, and they had uh, a special um, ceremony. So the community came out. It was really, really well attended, actually. And you and you would push the pumper into the well, you know, pretend, right? <laughs> and uh, and then you know they talked about the truck and and uh, stuff. Like it, was, it was cool, but uh, but yeah, thankfully because I live in a city and we have a full time fire department, like I have really low fire insurance rates, you know, hydrants and stuff like that. But if you get out of the city, that's one of the things you're you're you pay a lot more in insurance because right, um, your house probably burn could burn down. Um, but yeah, so that's always, that's always a plus. Like I live, I live literally three minutes from a hospital, which was built since we moved here 20 years ago. So a new hospital complex with, which I met with a med flight. <laughs> I live three minutes from that, you know? So, um, you know, I, it, it's a good thing to, to kind of be close to these resources or Wisconsin or on Wisconsin, one of those two. So it's a good, stay safe. So it looks like Jordan is calling it a night. So I appreciate that you've been here, Jordan. appreciate it. Give a shout out to Graham. So big expectations for him coming on the show next week. We're hoping to, to drag in thousands of viewers. It's kind of the, the show that's, that's going to kick us over the edge here. So, but, uh, but I'm real. I'm looking forward. I'm big time looking forward to that one. So, um, but yeah, is is as far as me, uh, it's I have to make sure my university ID still works because I've been been on campus for a couple of months. I don't know if they've updated anything, but uh, that used to until like a year ago, the campus was just unlocked during the day. Didn't have to have an ID or anything, which I always thought was really kind of strange. But um, they didn't have. Then they started to have some issues with it, right? And uh, but yeah, Keith is saying night, Doc. Gonna be up early. Um, so, gotcha, buddy. Uh, so, gotcha. So, sounds good. Um, oh, it's our good friend Salted saying, see you later, Ethan Jordan. So, good stuff. So, yeah, that's kind of kind of where I'm where I'm at with things here. So, just making sure all of my my stuff is together here. So, but yeah, next week is is going to be uh, 
Graham Wilson, who is a flight instructor. He's a pilot, obviously. I don't know if you could be a flight instructor without being a pilot, but uh, you know, we, we have a good show put together. Like I already have all of the blog posts written for that. It's completely done. And yeah, so we've, we've talked, we did like a stream yard thing, you know, that wasn't recorded of, of what are we going to do? What, what do you want to talk about? Well, it was really me interviewing him. Right. And, uh, and I just think he, he is, he's a, he has a great sense of humor. He's a terrific storyteller. And, uh, and as I told him, I said, I'm getting you at, before you kind of take off really, because like his stuff is so good and he's just so good at presenting that his show will be like, you know, thousands of subscribers and all this stuff. So I'm like, I'm getting you before you kind of hit the famous like curve there. So, uh, will, uh, they mandate mandatory pedestrian helmets, like motorcyclists. Oh my God. Bolo. Yeah. Who, I mean, and who enforces these things or are they automatically enforced or, or, you know, and you know, what are the consequences of them? So those are all like really, I, I mean, really kind of crazy, but, real questions out there, especially if we, you know, we could go down these areas. Do you move toward a social credit score or a digital currency? And, you know, if you do, if you're not mowing your lawn, is it possible for someone to press a button in the city and you can only take a hundred dollars out of your bank a day as a punishment or, I mean, all of these crazy things that we didn't think were possible, but, um, you know, we kind of learned in 2020, like when states or when cities, put these websites up of, Hey, like report your neighbor for having five people over and you're, you can post a picture and stuff like that. And I captured all of that stuff. Right. And I did a little video and I got it, you know, Bellevue, Washington. And so it's like, Whoa, that is really, really bad. Um, you gotta have the sticker. So Andrew's saying that will mandate wearing helmets when we are asleep in our pods. Um, yeah, I was reading, I think it's Italy, right? Where, they're, they're limiting people's access to electricity and fuel and it, or else the price has gone up like 500%. But now they're also s just, they're, they're saying you can't use candles or they're, they're not selling candles because of the petroleum content of candles. You can only use like a non-petroleum. So like even your ability to access a candle is, is restricted. And, uh, and so I'm like, whoa, like this is, this is crazy stuff. You know, uh, I remember, you know, I, I have, you know, some very, you know, just very modest retirement investments. Right. And uh, and talking with my retirement person there and saying like, hey, like, obviously everything's down for everybody, I think. But like, I, I think we should kind of like limit the exposure to these other small countries because I just <laughs> I just don't see things getting better for them. And I, I know like these small markets can kind of make big jumps and but I, I'm kind of in the camp of like, let's get out of that stuff. And, and you know, so the uh, retirement person's like, yeah, we kind of been thinking the same thing. And then, you know, you kind of get in that issue of like, and and what might we make, what can we kind of trade right now that's down for something else that's down? <laughs> like there's maybe a better prospect of recovering or, um, you know, just it's, it's kind of a weird, um, kind of a weird thing to look at some of that stuff and say, oh my God, I don't, I don't know what in the world happened in the last year. Paraffin, I don't know, man. Paraffin is a piece of, I, I don't know, but there, there's something, but there's, so this is one of those things, right? Like, hey, it's Arvero. Welcome, buddy. Welcome. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. 
a quick thumbs up. Well, appreciate it, buddy. Appreciate it. subscribing. We've got the channel to 1.21K, which is like 10 subscribers in the last day new, which is really cool. Um, but you look at this stuff and like the Colorado River, you know, drying up and these, you know, packs, these agreements fall apart. Like governments need to be there and say, what can we do to help you? Yeah, we need to do this or we need to like, you know, keep the nuclear plans going or we need to like, you know, get more coal deliveries to the, the energy plants or whatever. Or what can we do to help you out versus like, you know, now as people are already stressed, like how can we hurt you further is just in, insane. Um, you know, this this mentality, it's like, you know, how can it should be? How can we help you out? <laughs> How can we, and I, I saw this, I mean, the hurricane stuff would be a good example going back, you know, to 2017 and there'd be the hurricanes, Irma and Harvey and, and FEMA would be like, well, you know, Cajun Navy, we won't give you a warehouse and you can't stage your stuff here and you can't bring your boats. And they'd be like, well, but you don't have the boats. You don't have the resources. Like we, we have the stuff like right here. And eventually they kind of like came to some impasse where like, you can do it, but you know, we'll kind of shut our eyes that it's happening or you know, we're not going to give you a warehouse space. And, but my thought was like, if I was the head of FEMA, somebody calls me up and offers me that job. I take it heartbeat. Boom. Head of FEMA. I'd be like, my job is to broker these, these warehouses and make sure that the responders and the stuff can get to where they need to go. Like that's my job. It's not just come in there and try to regulate and limit the services. Right. I, I don't, that's not it. And this whole thing of like, you know, billions of dollars in the safer communities well hell you know like we had superior colorado before christmas burned to the ground by a wildfire like we need to put money into like you know, the 3d disaster printing and the drone delivery like to in kentucky right before the before christmas hurricane or not hurricane it's tornado comes through you know f5 and destroys tennessee and in kentucky and we need to be able to rapidly deploy these these things for like you know uh, a 10 to 20 days with people and equipment, right? And get these systems up and running and help people. And we're not doing that. I mean, I'm like, what in the hell? What the hell is going on when we're not doing that? We're not. So it, it, it's baffling to me. Like we pass all of this stuff. Everybody else gets the money as other countries. And it's like, you know, and, and I remember I was in a school district that, um, a, a, a significant flood came through, destroyed parts of the town, and the, the high schools turned into a FEMA center. I still have my badge, like they gave me, so I could get in and out of the building. And and people were coming there; they lost everything. Your house is gone, you know. And and uh, you know, and I'm like, I think you know, FEMA seemed to be you know helping them out places to in the school stuff. Like that. But I'm like, we have all this stuff going on now with people, and we don't do anything. You know, and I and I would and I know people, so many people in these areas. So I'll get a hold of them. Like I have a friend in Kentucky where this tornado came through. I'm like, well, what's happening? He's like, not much. You know, now they brought out a couple dumpsters. <laughs> people throws it. How about police? Like, are they doing like National Guard to make sure there's no looting? Nope. You know, place been picked bare. And um, and I'm like, this is crazy. This is absolutely crazy that these these we don't have these kind of regional rapid deployment FEMA things that also interface smoothly like a with Cajun Navy relief. And we don't have some federal legislation passed to kind of waive liability like we did with the IP stuff for 3D printing during the pandemic, like during these short-term things. Like this just is good. It's good human activity, right? This just needs to happen in a society. 
So I think that's kind of more my rant than anything else. And that's where I can see this eroding the discretion of the school leaders that I teach. They get caught up in this type of stuff of saying, I don't know, I don't want to, I don't want to do the right thing and then get punished afterwards, right? Or, you know, my board doesn't stand behind me or do the right thing in the moment, right? But it's forensically analyzed and I end up separated from employment or whatever. And I'm like, I get that, right? So that's a system that's not supporting you, right? And so, but what, I mean, how many con- how many conferences do we see or presentations or whatever about, about like Cajun E-Relief or how like 3D printing could benefit in design? We don't see any of that. I don't see any of that anywhere. Or, you know, part of this bill, you know, David Muir and, you know, Nightly News, part of this bill includes, you know, this rapid deployment of, oh, well, that'd be cool. Like that's, we're capable of that more than capable. I mean, look at guys like, you know, flying rich and, but I mean, so that is the part. And that's where I, kind of my rant on FEMA is I think FEMA is completely, it should just be a, a brokering of, of these services, like in a warehouse space and stuff like that. And, and to facilitate these movements to, to not have bottlenecks. Um, Gormager. Hey, welcome buddy. They could have mastered nuclear desalination plans, you name it. They, they, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> you're absolutely right. And um, by where I live, like just out of town, five miles, ha- there is a large coal plant, which is now going offline permanently. And they're going to take it down in, I think, two or three years. And literally like four or five years ago, it was rated the best coal plant for efficiency in the country. It just gone over a like $500 million updates and stuff like that. And, uh, and the thing is like, again, it's Wisconsin. Um, what are you replacing this energy with? We don't have a nuclear power plant nearby in winter. There's not a lot of sun and, and, you know, so they have this wind turbine farm kind of out of town, but I'm like, you know, what in the hell are you really doing here? And when people ran for County office, that was, Everybody had that as a as a point of why they were running because like we don't think the power plant you know should be shut down. We don't think there's enough redundancy in the the system to make up for this this plant, which they're probably right. Um, but yeah, I so I'd I'd love to do a show. I'm going to have Rich on again, and Rich and I are going to talk 3D. Maybe we can branch off a little bit into you know kind of this this bigger thing of like how could you. Uh, mobilize like a rescue force. I have some other people I could kind of bring on for that too. Um, but we know what happens. Like Cajun Navy does it. <laughs> they go from Louisiana to Texas, you know, they move around, you know, as needed, even over to Florida. Texas has its own kind of Texas Navy type stuff. We know these informal organizations exist out there. So, you know, how, how do we capitalize on that and kind of merge them with formal? But you go... You go to like Superior, Colorado, if you do a Google, Google search on that, the, the wildfire last year, um, it would, d- just burned everything down. Whole community's gone. Um, right before Christmas, there was virtually nothing for a, a federal response. State response was kind of limited, right? But the, the, the overall response that was completely underwhelming, as was the Kentucky, Tennessee F5 hurricane in December of 2021, or not hurricane, tornado. Um, the response to that was well, from emergency resource and allocation perspective. And I think, you know, questions about who can allocate these resources, who can commit these, who's paying. 
But if we are putting billions and billions of dollars out there to other countries and in these bills, why wouldn't we have billions of dollars to have these like regional FEMA teams, right? That would always be kind of ready to go. And, and you would say, you know, you're going to stage for 10 to 20 days. That's it. You're coming in, you're like getting these things available to people. Like I said, one of the, the biggest things people don't talk about, you know, catheters for people after disasters that they don't have access to catheters. And I mean, we can go down the list, like, you know, Rich and I can kind of work through some of that. And, but, and I have friends in the disability community who work in disaster and, but I'm like, you know, why are we not there? Why are we not highlighting and promoting that and putting that out there? Um, and that's, you know, bipartisan, like, I don't see anybody not agreeing with that. Right. Um, and I just, I, right. It's, it's not your fault if your house gets wiped out by an F5 tornado. Right. I mean, it, it's, it's, or, you know, I guess the wildfire thing, you know, you could say there's some culpability on the community, the way it was built and the homes built out and stuff like that. I mean, that's still pretty, <laughs> uh, pretty heartless to, to go down that, that road, but, but still like, we should just be better than that. And as a government, we should be much, much better than that. And we're just, we're just not. Um, and I go back. One of the things that really, um, spam out what? One of the, one of, the, oh, um, here, Gormeyer are saying with the Cajun Navy and other such groups, they are volunteer based, real heroes. Yeah, you're right. And the thing with like Cajun Navy, you have to like find like, God, what is it? I, Cajun Navy is a general term. So you, so you have to kind of find the organizations within that. But you're absolutely right. Like Katie Pashano and I had her on the show a couple of times. Like, you're right. Like, they, and those are the people coming back um, three months later to help you, like, you know, gut your house or uh, a month later, whatever, and, and uh, you know, take the, the moldy drywall wall out and put a new drywall. They're, they're the people who are sticking with you. Um, so often community originally centered, they have skin in the game. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Paper. So, so again, like if I, if I was promoted at a FEMA, I'd be like, we are, we are regionalizing into these areas, you know, based upon, you know, your data, your GIS data for understanding of where disasters kind of tend to, to strike with more frequency and stuff like that. And, you know, hey, it's one fast stack. Our good friend from Canada. Thanks here. Leaving a like. I appreciate that. We're up to 30. You did that, buddy. Thanks for sending some people over here to uh, to subscribe. We're up 10 subscribers today. So appreciate your work. Wishing you well. So thank you very much, buddy. Um, so, yeah, that's the, the, the FEMA thing just really uh, just really burns me that uh, how that how that whole you know organization operates and again we, we just should be be better we should and i kind of go back to when everyone was declared essential or non-essential and waysides were shut down in states right your your waysides and then truck stops were, were shut down and essential uh, workers were truck drivers and they're and basically the, what the message of truck drivers was keep driving <laughs> And truck drivers are saying, okay, but like, we don't have a bathroom. We don't have a place to wash up. We can't do our laundry, you know, even trying to get food and stuff. And that was a defining moment. I mean, there were many, but that's a defining moment in the country. There should have been, um, you know, March and April, a federal decree saying we will keep, um, you know, I don't know, whatever number, four per state or on the major interstates or whatever, but we will keep four, let's say four waysides per state open 
with National Guard or we'll provide funding and um, we'll get, you know, food supplies there and ability to do laundry and maybe some basic like telemetry, whatever it is like for truck drivers and saying truck drivers, you're keeping us going right now. So we are showing the appreciation. And I had, um, you know, I, I did the, the show where Jonathan Berger was on and we were talking about that of, you know, the brown bag for truckers thing you could have got behind and even 3D printing, right? You have 3D print a spork, right? <laughs> That's useful. A little vent thing that goes on to help your air conditioning stuff, you know, I mean, and you're collecting like Campbell's soup and giving that to truck drivers. But the fact, I think it was Arizona that used two defunct waysides they opened up during the pandemic for truckers, which was something because other states did nothing. But I'm like, whoa, like that was a really big thing, you know, going back and forensically looking at that saying, that was a huge disgrace. And it was really demeaning to truckers that that happened. And um, as I actually, I ran for city council. I didn't get voted in, but um, we we live on an interstate and we actually, you know, one of the things I talked about was if anything like that happened, like we had resources for truckers to, because truckers also were being ticketed for staying at waysides, right? Because they didn't have enough space. And all this, they were still ticketing them during the pandemic. Like we had fairgrounds here. We had parking space. I'm like, you know, we, our community sh could have taken a different role in this. Not that our community failed, but like no one was really taking the role, but like, this is something we got to think about. Right. And, um, and no one, uh, no one was really on that page with me. <laughs> like no, nobody was really there with with saying, "Yeah, we could, we could do that." But it really makes me kind of angry. Um, spam, great show so far. It's not going much longer, so I appreciate that spam. But uh, live it, uh, live it, playing, let it play in the background, let it play in the background. So yeah, keep things going. So Bolo, um, we can call them piss jugs up here. Yeah, they've truckers have those. Yep. Um, so, you know, this is something I didn't I didn't get into in the velocity of information because it really wasn't pertinent to the book. Like talking I did mention somewhat about, you know, essential non-essential and truckers, but I didn't go deep into it. But there is there is a lot to be said about the whole essential non-essential and the way that we treat it some essential workers, like truckers, right? I <laughs> really got treat it poorly. Um, even like store workers, you're working at a grocery store, you're expected to be there. And like, they give you like a 30 cent an hour wage, right? When there's this disease, which could kill you. I mean, uh, this stuff was really revealing and not only from a corporation, but a societal point and a government point. And that, I think that's where, when I do some future writing and stuff, I'm going to, um, you know, kind of bring that back and because people don't remember it that way. That's also something I find in the philosophy of information. When I go and present on that, you know, with the book, and I'll say, you know, every day, there was one morning you woke up as essential or non-essential. People be like, oh, yeah, I guess that did happen. And they're like, whoa. And I'm like, no, remember? And you, you're probably, you know, the reality is you're probably freaked out about it. And like, were you going to be able to, you know, see your relatives who were in assisted living or hospital or nursing care? Or was your work closed down? Were your kids going to go to school? All this stuff. And because, you know, there was so much emotion, everybody kind of blocked out and just like moved on beyond it. So when they, when I talk about it, it's kind of like this weird memory people have of like, oh yeah, but they don't have what I would call the semantic meaning to it. Um, the book delivers it of saying like, you're probably pretty terrified, you know, and 
you're probably, you're going to use this the rest of your life to decide like, what kind of job am I going to do? Like, am I going to fly? Am I going to go to vacation? Am I going to build a house? Am I going to live somewhere that's in a city? Am I going to live on the 30th floor? Like these will all be decisions you'll filter because of the pandemic. So, um, so the book actually kind of forces people back into a reality that they, they, over, they forgot when I shouldn't say they forgot, they, they chose not to remember. Um, but I think there's a lot of this with the way that we hosed truckers and just other people. So I'm not a fan of, <laughs> I'm really angry about that. Actually, um, really angry. And I wish in the moment I would have been more aware of the, of the fact that, you know, all of these waysides were shut down and, and the strife kind of that the truckers were going through and that I could have maybe advocated a little stronger because I wasn't, I wasn't tuning into that right at the, at the moment. And then, a little bit out, I was, I was kind of getting it, and then like, holy smokes, why don't we see on TV, right? Why didn't we see on TV like the you know again, way stations being open and and the cheering of of truckers? We didn't see any of that, but we saw the cheering of Bolo, 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 and then uh, we also saw like. Um, like a lot of a lot of this stuff uh, for Bolo, be like, hey, thumbs up. You, any any Zoom video, there was like a it's called a Bolo button right here. There's a Bolo button. You just hit it, and it was either this like the yield fist bump, or it was it was this Bolo. It was just called a Bolo button. I still have it on this computer, but uh, most of them it's not on there anymore. Um, Andrew saying, former YouTuber, I remember TFM. I, I have a lot of his podcasts downloaded. Um, from the day, right? Mentioned how bipolar leftists are. During the Canadian trucker protests, they were mad at truckers, then some pipeline broke, and the next day cheering for truckers. So, yeah, I guess depending on what your needs are, if your needs are directly influenced, right, you're changing your your positions on this. It's, it's really a shame. Uh, really, it's, it's, it's a big, it, it's a huge shame. Um, so, but yeah. No, this this gives me um, yeah this show and thanks for the chat because I mean the kind of disaster three D thing right and then also giving me an idea um, on I got to figure out how I would write about the the whole essential non essential I almost think there's a whole book just to be written on that well I know there is like a, you know are you essential like as a book and then just to go through and say you know here's here's what went down and. And, and a pretty forensic thing, but then to stop it and say, you know, all the things going forward that you're probably being, you're, you're, you're thinking about as essential or non-essential and are built into our systems, right? As essential or non-essential. And then um, I, you know, the psychological impact on that and, and just, uh, I don't know. I, th I think you're, there's a lot to be roughed out. There'd be a lot of interviews. Like you'd, you would interview, I would interview like truck drivers and, You'd interview people who already work remote. You'd interview a dentist. You'd interview like a, you know, uh, someone at a church, right? And all this stuff of, you know, what is what is this? But you're trying to get back to essential, non-essential. Then you'd try to figure out, forensically, you'd write about it, what happened from their perspective, looking back. And then also like, how does it change them going forward? And then really like the whole, the whole book hypothetically is, um, the whole book is what is essence? And I talked about that with somebody because we were talking, we we're doing like a deep dive into, this wasn't like a podcast, but we were talking about the velocity of information and the deep semantic meanings of it, the, the word meanings, the, the, 
time binding of certain terms like um, safer at home, it's time binded to 2020, right? Um, but, I, you know, we got into it and I said, you know, the book is really, really, like if you really think about it, if you totally get into it and you've read it a few times, it's about, um, it, it, one is, is um, empathy and one is essence. Like what is your essence? What makes you valuable to either yourself or to others or to your government? And like, how do you, how do you perceive essence when someone externally, like your government says you're, you don't have essence, like you're not, you're non-essential, right? So how do you keep going? Like, cause that's a big hit to an ego, like to just have some, it's almost like, you know, automated, like a robot takes your job or something, but how do you work when, in, and you have no input to it. And in, in just one day that decision is made where you have lost essence, right? So I think that's 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 absolutely huge um, to kind of get into that that discussion of, and I think it also is the reason we don't we have people not coming back into jobs and stuff because like no one is really eager about tying themselves into a job when they can be declared essential or non-essential or, and people don't believe that we are out of hard times like they are still as I wrote about in my book, uh, you know people are doing crowd in behavior. They're going to surround themselves with things that make them comfortable, video games, you know, stuff like that. Um, uh, nice furniture, whatever they can do. And, you know, they're, they're not thinking this is over um, by any means, right? Inflation is happening. Like they haven't seen a stabilization. So they're not going to go out and commit to these jobs and, and stuff like that. So there's, there's all these things that are kind of playing out. So I think like, you know, like, are you essential might might be a, a title like to a book and I don't know that I, I just I I'm amazed no one has really gone there with this um, and I think there's like this parallel like you could have a section of book where you, where you talk to people who like were in an industry like a, a car industry and then like the plant shut down in their town and they couldn't get any other job and and kind of like say like what happened to them but then like this whole essential non-essential from the government because of the pandemic in one day where you have no input to it that was a little bit different um, because, you know, otherwise you have some, you can kind of see things coming at you, right? And you can maybe do some things to maneuver. And it doesn't hit everybody, but in this case it did. Um, so Bolo was saying, uh, how can we be excellent to teach each other? That's a really good question. And I think it's, any opportunity you have to be a good person and the kind of Southern prepper one on his channel does, does a, a lot of that. Like just trying to convey, be a good person to other people because people are very stressed right now. And you saying thank you to someone or, you know, uh, get, helping someone out in some way can have this, this magnifying effect that you have no idea. Right. Because people are so, so stressed right now. Gormonger saying uh, to Bolo, just others, how you want to be treated. It's just that simple. Yeah, by no means let people walk over you. Yeah. And so, you know, it was a couple of weeks ago, my neighbors were, um, were they had like a hand clippers and whatever the hell they're trying to like, you know, between the cracks in your driveway and stuff, you get weeds that grow up. And, and they were trying to like trim that stuff back. And I'm watching them for a couple of minutes. And I'm like, God, like I'll never, it'll take forever. It'll never really work. So. I just grabbed my four-stroke, twenty-year-old Briggs and Stratton, you know, weed weed eater, and you know, gassed it up and went over there and said, "Hey, like, 
it's I know what you're trying to do here. That's cool, right? And they're like, yeah, well, you know, it's overgrown, and they that they worked all weekend. They got all the trees trimmed. Everything looks really great, but they didn't. But they're like, um, we don't have the weed whacker. And I'm like, man, I will take care of all this for you. It'll take me like 10, 15 minutes. And then they're like, well, what do we owe you? I'm like, you know, I'm like nothing. I'm just glad to do it. I'm your neighbor. You know, you're, you're good neighbors. If I ever need anything, or like, you know, you clean out your snow someday before mine is out and you want to snowplow comes through and you want to do the last six feet of my tree. I don't care whatever you want to do, but I'm like, you owe me nothing. I'm very glad to do this. And actually like the machine needs to be run kind of full throttle every once in a while to get the feel through it. And I haven't done that for a while. And I'm like, and this is actually fun for me to do. So I went in and in 15 minutes, like boom, I had everything all done and they were out there like sweeping stuff up and, and, uh, it looked really cool. Like it, and for them, it's kind of a pride thing. And then other people in the neighborhood kind of catch in, but I'm like, but I would want, but that's a kind of thing. And when you go to the happiness study, which is an authentic, authentic, authentic study, and I need to go in and do um, a show just about that because I reference it in the philosophy of information. But if you tell, tell people like, you know, if they have a salary of like say $60,000, there was some threshold, but if you say, we'll, you have a choice, you'll have a, your salary can be doubled or you have the same salary, but you'll live in a neighborhood where if you lose your wallet, someone, when they find it, they'll bring it back to you, everything in it. Like wh which one of those is more important to you? And people overwhelmingly like three to one picked, I want to live in a neighborhood where if I lose things, like people will bring them back to me. And, you know, so that's once up again, you're above like a certain threshold of, of money. Right. But, um, but that was, that was really big. And those are the types of things that you know, I kind of want to bring to light in this, this podcast too. And, and the fact of like, you know, you being a good person, like in your neighborhood or just to the people around you means a lot to them. And that amplifies out like, um, so yeah, that, is, that is really a good thing. And you have to tell people that too. Like I, I actually told my neighbors as I was doing that, I said, you know, you are, you're good neighbors. Like, right. Like, you know, you're, um, so we, you know, we've, I've been in the, in the city longer than they have, but you know, we appreciate you being here and God, you know, we're more than glad to, I'm more than glad to help out for 15 minutes, you know, and I know you take pride in your property and study, you know, of course you do that type of stuff. Um, so Gormonger saying, uh, sorry for grammar. Yeah. I, don't worry about it, buddy. Great story, doc. Those are moments that get society back on the roof. Yeah. Yeah. They, they do. And that's, um, you know, I have a, so I have a snowblower, right? And we, so when I grew up, <laughs> I grew up in Northern Wisconsin, right? And uh, my dad was a school principal and uh, my brother and I, this is back, you know, 70s, right? We lived in a part of town, small town, and, and it was part of town where um, it was mostly like World War II vets. And some were like widows and whatever, but it was like, you know, it's older World War II vets lived all around us in that part of town. It was an older part of town. And um, when it would snow, we'd have a big snow or whatever. And we got big blizzards. You know, you get like five, six feet of snow. That's not embellishing. Like, I remember snow that would be up as hot as snow drifts would be to the roof of our house. So it was a single story house, but it would, they'd go right to the roof. Um, and my, uh, my dad would get my brother and I up. Yeah, you know, four, four thirty, and he'd hand each of us a steel grain shovel and he'd say, Clear out Katie, clear out Eddie. <laughs> and we didn't want to do it. I don't know, maybe my brother was I didn't want to do it, but uh I did, like because my dad told me to do it. And uh 
but looking back, you know, it was really, it was the right thing to do, right. To, to help these people out. Um, because they didn't have snow blowers and stuff like that. And as a kid, yeah, it meant I had to get up a couple hours early and do things, but, but now like, um, you know, I have my snow blower, so, you know, we get big snowfall. I'm out early and I will clear out the neighbors. You know, snow plow comes through and then you, so if you have like a foot of snow, like that's one thing, but the snow plow comes through and now at the end of your driveway, you have three, four feet of snow. And that's usually hard stuff. You can't drive over that and stuff like that without messing up your vehicles. So if you can get out at all. So that's where you, you, you know, if I'm out there with my snow blower, then I'm quickly going over to my neighbors, right. Clearing out their six last six feet of their driveway for them. So if they, they're going to work or whatever, they don't have to deal with that. But, uh, but yeah, I, I look forward to that actually in winter, you know, we have a big snow and my neighbors know it too. Like, I'll be like, I've got your back. I've got your back. <laughs> you know, I've got your back. And one of my neighbors, um, you know, they passed away. Um, a couple, you know, they were in the eighties and bad health and, and one had to leave for dialysis. Like every other day is pretty bad setup. But, and, uh, and she said, you know, I'm really afraid that if we get snowed in, cause they would call a taxi, they didn't have a vehicle anymore they call a taxi and they said taxi wouldn't pull in the driveway if it wasn't plowed out. And she's like, I don't know if I could get down to where the taxi was and go over. And, uh, and, and I had in anyway, I would go over there and I would like clean out their driveway and stuff like that real early. And she came out one time and she just told me that she's like, this is just such a big relief for us because, um, you know, I, I'm really worried, right? Because what if I have dialysis appointment at eight o'clock and the taxi's here and I can't get to my dialysis appointment. I'm like, yeah, don't, <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. For me, like, I'm glad to do this. I am glad to do this. You owe me nothing. One time they gave us like a bag of shrimp or something like that around Christmas. And, but I'm like, don't, and don't feel that you owe me anything. I'm glad to do this. This makes me happy. I like using the machinery anyway. And, and, you know, um, but I just really glad to do this. So, um, Bolo's saying not all snowblowers wear capes. So, yeah. That is, um, and yeah, that's why I, I always keep my snowblower, you know, ready to go. And actually, I, I run um, True Fuel, which is synthetic gas, uh, which runs at a higher octane. And um, and then you don't have the ethanol sucking in the water, messing with the carb. So, like, it, I can, like, clear out stuff that other people, well, I mean, I shouldn't say it, but, you know, my machine never fails, right? Because I'm, I'm running this this stuff and... I, in summer, I'll run it, and uh, in a couple of weeks here, I'll take the snowblower out and make sure it's all ready to go. Um, but it's it's kind of it's just it's that thing though, and I have um, I have cleats um, that I wear on my boots, so if it's icy, I can I can I'll be like, don't worry, I still got you guys. Um, but uh, but I don't but I don't know. I mean, I know a lot of people do this, so I'm not tooting my own horn or anything because other people do this type of stuff. But it's that type of thing though that kind of gets us back on track and um but it it's admiral loy it's a rescue of five hundred thousand people in nine hours from lower manhattan when admiral loy on 9 11 says hey if you have a boat and you can help come down here it's that type of thing it's a it's it's not only discretion it's just doing the right thing without fear of repercussion and, and it's also people accepting help like we had a tornado come through here um, two years ago was that the year the tree got dropped on my house that sucked. That was bad. Um, the tree that then I cut up and burned. But um, but I left my house 
um, like once my house was taken care of, like I left and took my wheelbarrow. What did I do? I don't know. Wheelbarrow, my saws, I think. Yeah, that's what I took. And I, I went down the block where my neighbor's places really got hit hard. And I just helped people out. And it was really weird because like a lot of people didn't have a wheelbarrow. Like I have a, a old metal wheelbarrow. So like a big basket wheelbarrow that's really, you know, heavy duty, like not plastic one. I mean, and I had my saws and I would just come in and say like, hey, like I'm your neighbor from, you know, right up there. Like you can see me like seven houses up or whatever. Um, and I can see like you've got a lot going on here. What can I do to help you? And if they couldn't come up with anything, then I'd say, well, let me at least like, you know, I can c cut up your stuff and move it closer to the curb. So eventually when they come through and they pick this stuff up and clear off your walkways. and But it was kind of weird because some people, no one turned down the help, but some people weren't sure how to accept the help. Um, and I, you know, because, I, you know, who are you and what are you going to do? And I kind of get that right. But I'm also like, I'm, I live like right there. Like I have a wheelbarrow, right? So you, you kind of know, like <laughs> I'm not from out of the area. Um, and, you know, if you want, I'll pull out my driver's license and show you, you know, I live seven houses from you, but, uh, but, uh, it was a little bit of a pause, but then people are always like, and, and again, like if they couldn't come up with something, like I could quickly just say like, you know, let me do this because this is going to help in your, your process of, you know, I see that, you know, a tree fall off over, you know, it's covering up your driver or whatever. So like, you know, let, let's just get that out of here to th the sides, your driveways open. Um, but I was so tired. Oh my God. I, uh, for two days that was, and that was a time like, so I was like 48, 47, 48 at the time. I realized like I was actually kind of old, <laughs> like an old person, like, and I, so I'm on top of hill. So I'm pushing this wheelbarrow down and pushing back up to my house at the end of the day. I was just wiped. I was so tired. I don't know if I've been that tired for years. Um, I gave like everything. I wasn't eating a lot either because you know, I'm just down there, like hopping from house to house and, it was okay. It was fine. But I mean, it was that moment when I was like, Oh my God, like I, I just have to like sleep and eat <laughs> or eat and then sleep. I was so tired, but you know, it was good. It was all is good stuff. And I would of course do it again. It was kind of one of those things like, what if this happened again? Like, how could I, how could I help more? Like, what could I have brought more? Um, you know, and, and one of those things I think was like, I always, I need like an extra pair of, gloves right always have because i burned through my gloves really fast like on the first day and everyone's all sold out of gloves so like i actually did that like i always have like an extra pair of of work gloves other work gloves ready to go that i would bring with me especially when stuff is wet like it goes burnt burns up your leather gloves pretty fast um gormonger saying hey growing up in northwest indy i was also taught to shovel as much as you can safely of another sidewalks and driveway um, moved away from snow, but I think about the Pennsylvania snowblower instant. So from 2020, I think, wonder if that sad story could have been avoided if they treated each other better. Oh yeah. That was when someone was snow. If I'm correct, you, I could be wrong on this. I think someone came over and snow blowed like a neighbor's property and neighbors like, don't be over here snow blowing. And they were just trying to help them out. And like the guy shot him or something. All right. I mean, it's just crazy. Um, yeah, that is, uh, if I'm correct, I, I think I remember that, right? Someone, so thankfully with my neighbors, like they all, they all know me and, and, uh, you know, things like that. But that was really, that was just really weird that someone would 
but you know who knows what the backstory was of of crime and instance and stuff like that but it's still really horrifying it's completely horrifying um so yeah we also so i share a property line and my neighbors um are elderly like he's in his 90s you know and and so he's not out doing yard work and and you know great neighbors and we have this shared area kind of like you know where the the cable tv stuff is a little post and things like that so you can't get grass to grow there so we like mulch around it so i take care of the mulch even though it's like on both our properties and then i like we'll dye it and uh take care of it. i just did that last week and uh and they had a lot of uh we have a lot of uh acorns have been dropping um which is really weird this year but i can sit out my in my chair and just like they're non-stop like every 30 seconds an acorn is bouncing off the roof so it's just one of those years where there's like a, there are a ton of acorns out in the lawn in this in where the trees are and uh so i went out there with my leaf vac and um and sucked all of that stuff up and i got a couple of bags like you know leaf bags a big thing on you know echo leaf you know gas leaf blower where you put the bag on it to bag stuff up and and i went over and i'm like yeah that, i'm like because your mower is not going to be able to take care of this and uh let me just suck this stuff up and uh don't worry about it. It looks really good. Like once I got like all of it up, but it took, took a long time. <laughs> like I said, I had, I probably had like 40 pounds of acorns. Like I never experienced anything in that like that. And I just told them like, I had never seen this kind of weird. They're like, yeah, we never had a year like this. Um, oh, um, Gore, I think they blow snow, blew, put the snow in their driveway. Okay. Uh, that was because they blew snow onto his property. Oh, okay. A lot of history and taunting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it doesn't warrant being shot, right? But you totally don't want to do that. Like, I'm really careful when I snow blow that I don't, on the one side is impossible, but the other side, I don't put anything on my neighbors. And if I did, like, I quickly get over there and kind of, you know, clear that out. That's a beat by accident. But, um, but yeah, you know, you don't want to be that, that person. God. When I first, when I lived here, one of our neighbors, and they moved since, like, was so strict on the property line for mowing. Like, if I'd be an inch over or something, or, like, it would just be, he'd be wild about it. I'd be like, dude, what am I supposed to do here? Like, it's, I mean, literally, it's, what What do you, what's your solution to this? Now, like, the, the people who moved in, like, you know, five, six years ago, when they moved in, I told them, hey, like, there was an issue. And they're like, yeah, the guy mentioned, like, you're kind of a difficult neighbor to get along with. I'm like, that's not true at all. Like, I'm a good neighbor. I'm like, that guy was difficult to get along with. But I said, you know, we share this little small piece of land between the two driveways. Like, what if it's okay with you, like, I'll just mow it because most of it's mine versus, like, the two and a half feet that are yours. So just let me mow it. Like, I'll totally take care of it. And they're like, yeah, fine. That's good. And, like, that was the end of the discussion. But, uh, but it was kind of funny. Because yeah, he was he was saying yeah, we got this this neighbor. I was like a good, like I said, a good neighbor, but uh, just trying to keep things keep things looking good. And um, so Andrew's saying, I don't know how how bad of a person do you have to be to intentionally blow snow? Uh, kind of adds up. So yeah, that's that's I don't know. It's kind of a crazy crazy thing uh, that you do that. So. Yeah. All right. So a few things. The most honest book ever written about the $3 billion school safety industry, really about $5 billion now. But uh, if you've read it, if 
you've listened to it, leave a review. Uh, it's got 54. It really needs 55. It's kind of the big number. People see the five, five, they're like, I'll buy it. 54, they're on the fence. But this is an awesome book, and uh, I appreciate the reviews. And also uh, the, the velocity of information. You know, this is, this is a really, you know, thinking, thinking person's book. Um, you know, delve into that. And uh, I, it was one of those books that there is nothing out there like the velocity of information. And there's also <laughs> this weird thing like T.J. Martinell is going to be on the show. You know, you guys probably know T.J. And uh, he's been on the show before. But, you know, we've been talking. I said, I don't I really don't know who would publish philosophy of information today. I think there'd be too much pushback and it'd be too controversial. And um, it was the right book at the right time. And even the publish, you know, things kind of got a little questionable toward the end of like, you know, do we put this out there or don't we? And, but it, it is a book that records um, a lot of history that wasn't recorded otherwise. And if you go back now and try to remember what things were like, it's not going to be the same. And these interviews of, you know, Larry Lawton and Linda Stone and Morgan Rogue, I mean, they're just so vivid. It's just, I listened to it when I was out biking, when I did like my 80 mile trek, I put it on and I was like, God, like, this is a really good book, you know? And, you know, there's a lot of setup in the beginning of the book to tell you kind of the terminology and kind of what's coming ahead. And then suddenly you, you get rolling in these 12 interviews and there's just then you know, it's like, oh my God, like, you know, it's all connecting because there's kind of a lot of setup at the start of the book and it'd be that way. And I was like, I just love, like listening to that book. I was just like, oh my God, like this is just so, so good. Um, so well done and nothing else out there like it. So, um, yeah, but I mean, the you can help me out by promoting a, a review goes a long way. Um, you know, sharing it on your social media. Hey, you know, whatever, think it's something, you know, you'd be interested in. And um, also, <laughs> I don't know, anybody does this, but if if you contact your local library, send them an email and say, I live here and I want this book in the library or I'd like this book in the library. Most libraries will, will buy it if you live there. So that's another way. Just quickly say, here's a title, here's the ISBN, boom. Bolo, where you live, could be there. Um. Gormanger saying, I brought it up as an example to treat others the way you want to be treated, which is a great point. Yeah, we get back to the golden rule, right? Um, and it doesn't have to get much more complicated than that, right? And I th that's the thing, like, with my neighbors when I was doing the uh, the weed whack, you know, stuff, which was a little more ambitious, right, than kind of what I made it out to be because there was a lot, there was a lot of work that needed to be done. I had to, like, re-thread the weed whacker because I went through, like, a half spool of thread. and um, But uh, but I did say that I'm like, hey, you know, if, if something, right, like, you know, something happened to me where I wasn't able to mow my lawn, you know, for a couple of weeks or something, like, I know you'd be over here, right? And, or you'd offer to like go to the store to get something like, I know you do that. So um, you owe me nothing. Like, don't, can we bring you a, you know, whatever a case of beer? I'm like, well, no, um, I'm good. And again, just, you know, and I think you can also reflect back to people. It's, you know, they're good people. This isn't, I'm not helping you out because I'm upset that your driveway doesn't look kept. I see you out here struggling to try to do this, not have the equipment, this, the tools. And I have the tools. I have the time. And uh, so just let me help you out. 
And, you know, if there's a circumstance, right? Something comes up or you, there's something I have, or, you know, you have something to help me out, then great. You know, maybe I can borrow, hey, do you have a, <laughs> yeah, uh, edge sander or whatever, you know, I could, I could use that. Uh, but, um, but yeah. So, I don't know. It's cool. I'm not any great person by any means, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I think I am a good neighbor, you know, I kind of keep to myself, you know, but, um, and, you know, after a storm, right, you know, big branches go down in people's yards, you know, kind of help drag that stuff out or else cut it up where it's manageable. We, we haven't had really much of that this year, which is kind of surprising. So I think August was the first year in 41 years we didn't have a, a tropical storm or hurricane. So, all right. Um, let me, uh, I'll do the outro. So thank you, everybody. Next week, again, we do have Graham Wilson will be on the show. It starts at 7, so the most we'll go for is two hours. Uh, he's in Eastern Time in Canada. He's a pilot. He's a flight instructor. He's a funny guy. If you actually check him out at superpilotish.com, um, superpilotish. So let me put that down. He has a, let me go back, pilotish. Um go back on YouTube, then um, he some of the, the animated stuff he did back like in 2010-11 is hilarious. It has like tens of thousands of views. School safety question from Gormonger. Are you still teaching internet privacy in schools? If so, why not? In 07 and 08, they pull us into the auditorium to watch about it. I am. No, I completely am. Um, so I do teach that based up more upon kind of the, the uh, Trip Elix's work. So let me bring up, um, I include it in each of my classes and I largely am informed, gosh darn it, by, uh, courses, right? Yeah. So here it is. So it's, it's tripelix.com. Trip was a guest on the show, but I, I get my updated materials from Trip. And I go through and and um, he's like a cybersecurity expert and he kind of focuses on on cybersecurity for for youth. But I all my classes um, we address that. And one of the things too is I am very overt with these new administrators and said, you know, you need to get in your district administrator. And whoever, you know, law enforcement, your SRO or law enforcement, and then, you know, your, and also, um, you know, not only talk about security, but talk about like sexting, right, of, of sharing the pictures and the consequences and, you know, being put on list and things like that. But, but uh, it, it, what the IRS just said, about two or 300,000 people, they, they lost their data or got swiped by a hacker. <laughs> But Trip gets into you know protecting. I, I take his resources, but I spend a lot of time on that. It was schools, and um, um, yeah. So we internet privacy, yeah. And it's it is interesting, right? Every, this is again, we go to school conferences, and I'll I bring up you know, well, here's you know the state school board convention, right? And what they do, and then I'll I'll go through everything they're doing. I'm like, wow, you know, like. Um, Internet privacy in schools doesn't seem to be one of your keynotes or one of your breakouts. Like, why not? And we know that, you know, things are getting hacked or that kids are, 
putting stuff out there or that, you know, uh, online predators are, are, you know, seeking this information and they're getting it from, you know, profiles and like, just, so why aren't you doing that? And so again, you know, I have my own theories on this, like, uh, conferences tend to gravitate toward things which are very broad and not very deep. Um, so, but yeah, I am, I'm doing that. So thanks for asking, uh, Gormonger. Um, it's a good friend, Rusty Rivers. Rusty, please subscribe if you haven't. I would appreciate that. So thank you very much. Welcome. Uh, very much welcome. So, yeah, I appreciate that. So let me go back to comments. Um, Heath is saying, I'm back. I just got an offer. Of <laughs> yeah, you probably probably did. You'll probably be able to sell it tomorrow for like a lot more. An offer for uh, safety3d.com. So, yeah, no, I'm not doing any squatting rights to that. So if you genuinely want to make it yours, go for it. Um, it's one of those things where I bet if you did that and then you put it on the market, there would be, it'd be like investing in gold or silver. There would be a point someone would come to you and say, yeah, I'll give you $1,000 for it. Like, it just seems obvious that some company would want that. I mean, I just, I don't get it. Andrew's saying it blows me that any IRS data is on the internet. It should be on a separate file. Yeah, no kidding. And Chad Elkins tomorrow night, uh, our CPA friend is centering his show on the IRS data breach and just in general his observations of how uh, insecure this personal data of, of American citizens is in the IRS's hands, right? And, you know, nothing comes of it. No one loses their job. And remember the Equifax breach a couple of years ago? Like someone, I think, got demoted or, I mean, no one got fined, fired. And uh, just, you know, so the consequences also for not protecting data are pretty low. And that one thing I see in schools that I talk a lot about, um, you know, um, um, Gormonger, one thing I, I talk about is, that uh, these um, ransomware things, because that's more frequent in schools. You know, someone's saying, hey, like, I've got all of your, um, you know, we've, we've got all your student data and whatever, so you have to pay $45,000 in Bitcoin in the next day to get it back. And these schools typically pay it. Um, but then, of course, you know, but um, this happens a lot. So, again, this is where I need to kind of separate out a show or shows and and do some major conferences where it's like state organizations and these conferences, these organizations make like $100,000 off these conferences because they're charging people four or $500 and they get a cut off of the hotel rooms. I mean, I was in the business. I know what it's like. I try to do it very ethically, but, um, and, and we'll go through a, like a, the conference agenda, the conference offerings and, and we'll be like, you know, okay, like pretty useless, pretty useless, semi-useful, pretty useless, breakouts useless, here's a breakout that's a vendor. And, you know, we'll point those things out. And then I think we can compile this kind of side list of saying like, you know, student data security or data security systems in schools and, you know, the uh, how to detect, um, you know, deep fakes, right? And how to investigate a deep fake, uh, alleged deep fake. Like that would be a perfect keynote or a breakout, whatever, breakout session at a state school board conference. But, um, but yeah, you know, you kind of figure out when the, how they how they work at these things, right? They're selling to the vendors and and uh, but yeah, I'm going to do that. Um, I have really nothing 
to to lose by, by doing that other than uh you know i'm bringing some truth back into the system but but i do that with my administrators and they're really surprised when i do that in class and I, because they've never really scrutinized this before and i'm like how's your math scores like you know or your reading in your district or some of these things or i was like you know fu functioning with uh increased allergies like record number of allergies with kids and EpiPen stuff so like here's your state conference <laughs> addressing things and here's stuff on you know whatever 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 but here are big core issues it could even be life and death and that they're not addressing and there's not even a breakout and how does how does so why not so who do you contact how do you suggest this and why aren't they on top of this you know and so i don't know i ran conferences that had extreme integrity in their keynotes and breakouts extreme integrity so um yep GoDaddy appraised it and made an offer good for you when when i get monetized send a little of that back here on a super chat as a thank you so uh Rusty's saying, one of the things I've noticed about new school being built, smartphones, kids, and staff bring, uh, will not work unless they hook to the school's internet service. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'll check on that, you know, with my students. Um, if, you know, right, if you can't get on their Wi-Fi, but I mean, like, if I can't get on a Wi-Fi, I can still get on Verizon or whatever the hell's out there. So, but yeah. Um, but that's the way, like, um, the... Chromebooks and iPads that students had when schools would go to one-to-one -one devices, they would only let you use like their Chromebook the school had. So if you had your personal Chromebook, it couldn't log on to the network. So, so you're right. Um, yeah. So that's a good point. Gormager saying Clary is right on laziness and workers and people as a whole. Yeah. And he's, he's really had some fired up shows lately, hasn't he? <laughs> I think I posted a couple things to him today and, um, you know, he's a good friend of mine and, well, we haven't had lunch for a while, so I got to check when he's going to kind of be he still family in Wisconsin. So when he gets back, um, but yeah, you know, just this whole thing of kind of personal striving. So I wrote a an article which will be featured in um, Phi Delta Capin. So it's on abeyance agreements, and it took me, I don't know couple of weeks to write the article and to research it. And I sent it off to a friend of mine who's an attorney because some of it gets into legal stuff that I'm not a lawyer. And I'm like, is this right? Or how should I change this? And you know, that person not getting paid either, just doing it to help me out. So I'm doing this article because it's a, it's contributing to the professional community, right? I'm not getting paid by Phi Delta Kappen for this article. Like if you were to write this article under some kind of pay agreement, it's probably a thousand dollars to write this, right? Um, so I'm doing this as for this professional journal because I respect Phi Delta Kappa and for me and the work that I do as a professor, right? It's important to have scholarly stuff published, but I mean, I'm doing because I want to. I like it. I want to have this out there. And I'm like, no one else is kind of doing that. Like people aren't doing the, the scholarly work being done. Like people write an article. That's one thing. Like this has like 15 citations, probably took me two weeks to write. Like I had to go back into like, you know, a lot of researching different, you know, legal stuff, laws, providence, stuff like that. So it's like really well done. It's almost like a mini book. And, you know, I'm handing it over to them saying, you know, if you want to print it, like it's yours, you know, and I'm not getting paid. 
But um, that type of driving yourself or like even what it takes to write a book is, you know, like 471 endnotes in the velocity of information and all this stuff going back and forth with, you know, your different proofs, not proofreading proofs where it comes back to you and you change things and the editor changes, publisher changes things, but permissions and your, I mean, the amount of work that goes into something like that um, is immense, right? And I, I just, I know fewer and fewer people that kind of do that personal type growth stuff, you know, in whatever they're going to do, or they're, they're going to learn to like fix their car or be a carpenter or, or, you know, even like agriculture type things. I know some people, right, that do that, but I know more that don't. So, and especially like in my kind of circle of people in in kind of that uh, scholarly, I guess, area, I don't know. But I'm like, you know, you're not writing these papers. Like, <laughs> you know, you're not trying to, to write a book and I kind of think when you get a certain amount of knowledge and things like, I don't know. I don't know. Even like when I, when I narrate at school of airs, like that was a big personal challenge. Like it's very, to, for me, it was very difficult to narrate because you have to figure out where you're going to pause. And, and uh, you know, when you're reading for two hours, there's, you know, you have the same energy and inflection and um, it was a, it was a struggle, but you know, I, I took it on and did it. And I just don't, um, I, I don't know. And that's, you know, and also like you, you stick with something, right. You know, like if I, any job I had, you know, it was when I was, I don't know, 13, 14, I had a work permit and I could work like 20 hours. It was probably more like 30 at the cement factory, two blocks from my house. So I was working at the cement factory You know, I worked all the summers and in college, you know, right. I worked all the, I worked like 30 hours a week while I was taking 18 credits at, uh, you know, it did, uh, plumbing at Menards and then fleet farm. And I had a, uh, apprentice, not apprenticeship, a fellowship or whatever the hell it was, assistantship, where I was assigned to be almost like a, a teaching assistant, right? So, but I'm like, you know, you just kind of did things and projects. Like when I did my garage floor and the concrete, even though some of that project turned to hell <laughs> in August, and I think that was because the product was, some stuff I was using turned bad at, you know, the supply chain. Like I just, you know, stick with it. It's keep going. And I had my, my, my youngest daughter, we went out today and we we're practicing her softball skills, you know, throwing, pitching and hitting and all of that stuff. So, um, we go to the field and, you know, I, I usually have to prompt this stuff. Um, and we get there and everything is good, really good until we get to hitting. And, you know, the first 10 pitches, like she's not, she doesn't hit any of the first 10. And then she starts to get down on herself and then, you know, kind of loses enthusiasm for like, you know, being out there. And then, and I'm like, you know, you, you have to stick with it. Right. And we'll stay out here. And there'll be days when it's just not going to click for you. But like the other stuff was really good. Like the pop-ups and the grounders, like you're doing great. So, you know, maybe you'll kind of get synchronized here with hitting, but if you don't, you don't. And then next time I think you will. But, uh, but yeah, the kind of this, this like, you know, oh, frustration and let's just go back home and stuff. I'm like, no, like, you know, it's a nice day. Like in two months, this will be all snow covered. Um, and like, I'm not upset. I'm not upset that you're not hitting the ball, but just stay in there. Like, 
stay in your home plate and keep your eye on the ball. And, uh, and again, if you, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. Maybe we can bring a different bat next time so we can switch off. Maybe, you know, try a heavier bat or something like that. But, but yeah, so that did, I think it was a good message and it did work. I think because afterwards when we got home, she said, yeah, you know, like using the heavier bat, like maybe what I had something up, maybe I said, there'll just be days when it's not going to work. Maybe it's grounders one day or fly balls or whatever it is, uh, pitching. There'll be a day when that's just not going to click. Yeah. But then just work through it and, you know, you've done it in the past. It'll come back. You know, I said, I have bike rides like that. I, I have bike rides, right. Where I'll be out and, <laughs> You know, I'm just like, today's not the day. You know, it's instead of 80, maybe it's a 40 mile ride, or, you know, I just, I, my, I just didn't prep well enough. Or even though I took coffee and bananas, I'm just not feeling the energy for it, you know, once in a while. So I'll still bike, but it's not going to be the same trip. I'll change it up. But it's not a loss because I still have my routine and I biked and I, you know, um, quiet quitting, um, because called doing your, your job. Yeah, I've been reading about that stuff. Publish your parish for professors. Yeah, I'm not on tenure track, right? So anything I do, it, well, I mean, it does obviously impact it, it off. I've, I've had more offerings because I am published as a scholarly work and even Phi Delta Kappen has a certain rank as a journal where it's citable. So um, my PhD in the publishing opens up doors for me big time in the post-secondary setting. But I'm also not a tenured track professor. I'm, I'm not, I've never, you know, I'm not a full-time professor. I'm not going down that route. So I don't have to like do that to survive. But right, if you were doing a tenure track, you'd be doing a lot of publishing. But one of the things too is like, you know, these are all, this is a private publishing company, right? If they don't think the book is going to sell or isn't good, like they're not going to publish it. So that's another thing. And like Phi Delta Kappa, you know, some of these things in the university setting, right? Like you can kind of have your stuff published and it might not be the best stuff because it's really like different paths that aren't quite as scrutinized as the, the private sector because of the, the, you have to make money on it. So not saying that's always the case, but you know, um, I, I, school of airs and philosophy of information are just really good books. They're not college books, although I use school of airs as a college book and I know it's used, but those are just meant to be really good scholarly, scholarly works. And then like the abeyance agreement article with Phi Delta cap nothing is out there like it. Even Phi Delta captain had to like, you know, roll the dice a little bit to publish that because that, that's going to be a lightning bolt. Like a lot of people are not going to be happy that that article is out there like people that use pre-expulsions, stuff like that, um, which is pretty much every school. But also um, Northwestern Pritzker Law School is coming out with a legal note that they've been working tirelessly on since last year um, where they're going to have this note of saying, these are bans agreements, you know, they're nowhere in education law and it's a real fuzzy process and they rob parents of their due process and they... If, if there are concerns, really serious concerns about a kid, they kind of get blown off because the bands agreement hides these. They're not reported anywhere. And uh, and so a, a legal note of that stature could be referenced in case law. Um, so my article would be cited by their legal note, but then you'd have two sources 
And yeah, there could be something where a judge could say, yeah, this abeyance agreement school that you did, you know, like this is a violation of the student's, you know, constitutional rights to due process. So I think I'm onto something really big with that. Like, that's why I wrote that piece. It was a big, I said it's the best policy piece I ever wrote. And it's, you know, the feature of the, the journal and stuff like that. And I don't know if I'll ever do anything to that level again. And, and, uh, but like, that's something I just did. Right. Um, so people tend to fail upward these days. I, yeah. You know, I saw that right from the start of my career. I think I told you the one time we had like a staff appreciation and my boss was like, Hey, like I got day old Kentucky fried chicken. <laughs> it was a great deal. In it. And it was like telling us this as we're getting this. And I'm like, that's kind of gross. And um, the other thing is like, why would you even say that? Like, why, why would you have to make a point out that for our staff appreciation meal, we're eating day old food. Why wouldn't you keep that to yourself? Um, this is a really weird person. Uh, but yeah, I saw, I, I, I've seen, I work for people who fell up or were just in the right place at the right time and surrounded by people who worked really hard and knew what, knew what they were doing. And like, were these, I would say like the Delta force people, right? So you have your, your person who's in kind of the alpha position, but maybe they're, then they have this Delta force of people who are really working around them to keep things going. And uh, so I saw a couple of those people. I worked in situations like that too, where these Delta people just carried everything. And it wasn't in the per and the person just kind of, because they were there, they were getting the credit and they'd seem like they were the, the factor of causing these good outcomes. And the fact was it wasn't them. It was the Delta force was doing it. And some people want to be the Delta force, right? They don't want to be the, the main person. They want to be the one person down. So I saw a lot of that. And then, you know, just as I got later on in my career, I'll, I'll say like the best job again, I said earlier, the best job I ever had was working at school for applying best job I ever had. And, uh, and it was so far removed from the, the goofiness of uh, the way school board meetings were going. Right. There wasn't a school board for the school for appliance. You didn't have, you know, all of that stuff going on. And, and a lot of the crazy state regulations kind of circumvented the school and, um, it was just, it was just a, it was a good thing, but, uh, but yeah, I've, I, I really, I, I see that it's frustrating people failing up and, and I don't know, I don't know if hard work gets you as far as, I don't think it does get you as far as it did. Um, just on its own, doing your job, the absolute bare minimum, just to get by, just go home. Yeah. Right. And, you know, right, right. I, I see that. And that's when, you know, when I, the stuff I do now, right. Um, you know, I, I love being a professor, right? I love the stuff that I do and, and I'm accountable really to me on that. I don't really work as a, much of a department, right? Um, and so that is really good. And then all of my 1099 consulting is just like, you know, me to my standard. So, but yeah, I, I'm with you, Rusty. Um, that goes back. This is a uh, Gormonger. That goes back to earlier with voluntary versus bureaucratic organizations. Yep. Yeah. I'd have to, I have to go back. I have to check with Katie Pashan and because so there was this attempt to regulate, um, Cajun Navy relief, basically saying like, you can be a part of this, but you have to pay like $20 a year and you have to like take this state training and or federal training. And then it was proposed 
um, by a couple states, I think, and uh, it got shot down, right? Um, but they basically wanted to skim money off of this, and then it was always saying, well, it's liability. What if they get come in an area and what wires on the electrocuted? And well, you know, but uh, but the fact was, like, you start to regulate this thing, that's going to disappear. So, uh, Gormeyer saying, people you care about versus paper on a desk and can't do the right thing because your boss will be happy. Yeah, yeah, people run into that, and thankfully, again, like toward the end of my career. I, I wasn't in that situation. And actually, I when I was at the School for Blind, like I had I had the best boss in I've ever had. I mean, I still have a I have a, a voicemail that I recorded with my phone. He left on my my voicemail. I did some presentation or there, we had some something going on and I handled it. And he's just like, hey, like so much appreciate working with you, you know, such a professional and doing this and whatever. And and uh and I think it's in one of my podcasts. Like I have it somewhere. I saved it and I I say have as an MP3. I'm like, there's just such a cool thing. The guy was doing that all the time. Genuinely, like all, all the time for genuine things. But um, but I'm like, man, it was so it was good to kind of zoom out of the the career, right? Of, of working with a really top-notch person. Those people aren't really, they're just not there anymore. I mean, I shouldn't say it, they're there. I mean, the the people who stay like for you know 30 years in a position aren't there anymore. I mean, but um you know, one of, one of the things that comes up all the time with my new administrators, and a lot of these are really good people, right? Um, but something happens that is is controversial, right? And they they need to respond to it, right? And they'll say, "I always have to think: um, Is there something I'm going to do that is going to end up with the district separating employment with me because of the way that I responded to, you know, whatever that maybe I did something right, but I judge right, but the district is deeming wrong." Um, and that was like I had a soup who, I think there was a like a, a wrestler who violated the code of student conduct allegedly for like a party and couldn't wrestle at state and the board was getting a lot of pressure from the community and the soup was non renewed um, and it wasn't directly saying that was the reason but the soup came to the board and said listen <laughs> like I've been here like five years we've increased like our test scores and all this positive stuff and suddenly you know like it has to be this right. And the board never said anything, but they they non-renewed. And you only have a two-year contract, sometimes one year if you're on your last year. And things like that happen, or a board gets you know voted in that didn't hire you. And um, so the the administrators would say, "I don't want to move my family, right? So I I'll do the right thing. I want to do the right thing, but you know also like there's only so far with some of the stuff they can go before it starts to get into personal stuff of saying, yeah, but." If right, if that happens, right, you you are backing that, and that wrestler can't wrestle, and now you're out of a job, and your house is for sale in a community. At that time, where housing was kind of depressed, I mean, you have to find a new job, and so it's really weird, you know, the the process people kind of go through in that. It's I have a, a lot of um, empathy when administrators, you know, share that. Like I had a, I had a friend who became a superintendent. And moved to, you know, you start out in these really small rural districts. And and within like five years, he had three superintendent jobs, which were like progressively moving up him up to larger districts. But like he at one point had was living in a house and had his previous one or two homes not yet sold. And uh his and his kids, like, because we talked and he said, Oh, God, you know, my kids like were 
sorry, it was so hard to adjust to these new schools. And they're like, please don't move again. Like, we don't want to do this again. And, and you know, so I don't know. That, to me, like, that's a thing. That's a, that's, so th these kind of things factor in, in these leadership positions, right? You, you, I guess you go there, police, fire, city, mayor, you know, I mean, these, these positions don't tend to have the same longevity um, that, that they had in the past. So, all right. And with that, I mean, show's been going on for your four hours and 11 minutes. Uh, I'm going to take us out. Thank you, um, Gormonger. Um, um, you know, Rusty and, and just everybody. Um, definitely uh, Heath uh, Bolo. Appreciate all of you. Thanks for the watch hours. Thanks for the supporting the show. Letting people know, man, 1.21K. That's pretty awesome to see. Um, and again, got some great shows lined up and, and, uh, now, you know, it's going to be over 200 shows before too long. It's great content. So I'll take us out the same, same way I took us in. Let me get over here to, uh, all right. And all right. Thanks everybody. Um, have a, uh, terrific week. Thank you so much for, uh, supporting the show. As chaos erupts. Torrents of conflicting yet urgent messages gush from media outlets. What is the magnitude of the incident and what should people do to protect themselves? Dr. David Perodin clarifies human behavior during days, weeks, months, or even years of chaos. Reporter James David Dixon of the Detroit News proclaims, The velocity of information is an education in the way people react and adapt to change. Never has it been more important to sift facts and stories for truth and meaning. The Velocity of Information will teach you how people have done it in history, in the modern day, and even in prison. There are teachable moments on every page. Buy The Velocity of Information, Human Thinking During Chaotic Times. Available from your favorite bookstore or online retailer. A must-read for parents, teachers, and taxpayers. Dr. David Perodin has written the most honest book about the $3 billion school safety industrial complex. Attorney James Sibley proclaims, A brave demonstration of speaking truth to power, School of Errors rips the lid off the billion-dollar school safety industry. Using real-world examples of successful responses in desperate situations, David contrasts the expensive window dressings pitched to panic parents with the inexpensive and effective approaches proven to actually work. Read this book before you let your school waste another precious dollar on meaningless safety theater. Buy the international bestseller, School of Errors, Rethinking School Safety in America, now at Barnes & Noble or Amazon. Hi, everybody. This is the Safety Doc with a face validity check-in here on March 31st, 2020. Bellevue, Washington has started a tool to report stay-home violations. This is from the government website in Bellevue, Washington. So we're going to scroll down here to my Bellevue portal and then to report gatherings. 
They've made it convenient. There's a map on the right. You can drag a location over here into address, write a description, and then also include photos. This is a practice we've seen in some areas of the country, but it's going to be more prevalent. Look for it in your area probably in the next week or two. Describe the odor. Is it like when something electrical is burning? And so on. Ridiculous, right? We don't shift the investigation to the reporter, but that's covertly what the school district thought needed to happen to prevent their investigation scrambling principles from burning out. And as this paragraph smolders, it would be prudent to consider bringing students with disabilities from the sidelines of safety and center them to active roles of detecting and reporting threats. So we had a rather difficult meeting. Upon due diligence of examining the reporting system, I informed the district representative that I could not justify modifications to the existing model as such changes would make the system less accessible to students. Well, that was a short chit chat. The district folks believed or hoped that the threat input system could be modified and maintained with fidelity. I wasn't in alignment with that hypothesis and so I was thanked and given notice that our partnership would be over at month's end. Business is business, but in school safety, it's never as simple as that.